Welcome back to the Soundtracker Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Peacock. So it's been two years for this show as of this weekend. Um, I think Sunday is the actual two-year birthday, anniversary, whatever you want to call it, for the show. So why not do one of the real big soundtracks here? And here it is. It's Space Jam, which is, you know, that's uh, to certain a certain generation. This is like one of the real big ones. And it's still really, really good. Um, I hadn't listened to it in a really long time. Uh, it is. It holds up unbelievably well. There are so many good songs on it, and uh, maybe, maybe one misfire. And uh, John and I sort of argue over that misfire too, as you'll hear during the episode. It's a misfire for me, uh, for personal reasons. But yeah, I was really glad to do this. I'm joined by John Cullen of Blocked Party and the POD Cast. Uh, I appeared on the POD Cast doing the Scorpion King soundtrack, so it's kind of fun. It was kind of fun there doing a soundtrack for another show where I didn't have to do, you know, hours of research for it. I just got to kind of talk about the very new metal soundtrack that I had. I'll put a link for that in the episode description as well. If you want to check that out. So I don't know, you know, some of you follow me on Twitter. I'm sure most of you probably follow me on Twitter and I'm not sure if you saw it, but um, a few weeks ago I made an announcement that, um, this was going to be the final season of Soundtracker. Uh, December was going to be the final episode. And just all the stuff I've talked about in my personal life uh, is kind of catching up with me and and, and other reasons um, that, that just kind of had me thinking, oh, I don't know why I'm doing this anymore. And I got a whole bunch of messages and an and, and outpouring of even just replies to that tweet that have me... I'm trying to think of a way to continue this beyond season two. I'm, I'm going to find a way to continue this beyond season two. I'm just figuring out what way that's going to happen. So um, I don't think this is going to be the final season. Um, what may happen is I take a longer break between season one and season two, or I come back doing an episode every other week, or, or I go Patreon only. I don't know. I've got to figure something out, but I do want this show to continue for the people who really reached out to me about how much they love it. And I couldn't believe the outpouring that I got. Um, so I'm going to walk that back a little bit. Uh, I've got till December to figure out how I want to do this, whether I want to, like I said, take a few months between seasons um, or, or come back uh, and do, you know, like I said, an episode every other week, one episode a month, maybe, maybe both of those things happen. Um, and maybe just focus on the Patreon supporters. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know yet. I've got to figure that out. I've got a few months to figure that out, but the good news is Soundtracker will be back in season three in one way or another. Uh, I will make it work somehow because I just, like I said, I was not expecting the, the messages that I got and the support that I received, um, from people who understood you know, that I wanted to end the show maybe. Um, but I'm going to figure something out. Uh, I don't want to do the Patreon only thing, but you know, it could end up becoming something that works for me because it would lighten my workload and it would definitely be, um, you know, providing for the people who did show that support and, and love for the show. But, uh, yeah. Um, and we didn't hit 200 ratings before year two, which sucks. It wasn't that many, but we, we didn't get there. Um, but it, it is what it is, you know, and those types of things are also things that I look at and say, well, why am I doing this then? A couple thousand people who couldn't couldn't do that. But uh, for the ones that did and the ones who reached out to me, I'm going to make this show continue. I will figure something out. So don't fret all of you who who sent me messages. And I hope that you're all listening to this. 
Uh, I'll put something on Twitter about it too, but um, Sound Tracker will continue in one way or another. And uh, check out the Patreon. Um, obviously, that is hugely important to the show. Um, that is a huge reason that things were kind of looking grim there. Um, it's just, I don't, I, I, it's, it's hard for me to justify the time that goes into this for something that I'm not being paid for. You know what I mean? Like, I've got things going on that I need an actual source of extra income to, to, not drown basically. And, um, yeah, you know, just it's, it's, it's frustrating to see, uh, these, these grifters, these, these people who make tens of thousands of dollars doing real harm and grifting, you know, anti whatever, whatever bullshit <laughs> the, the, the weirdo, uh, right wingers lap up, but, um, and then, and then I'm struggling to, not not sink here and uh but like i said if i lighten up my workload or something like that i can probably make this continue but i i really don't want to do that either so again if you if you haven't check out the patreon www.patreon.com forward slash soundtracker things like that will ensure that guess what i can come back next year full strength and keep going just like i was before um i still might take a longer break between seasons regardless because i am getting a tad burned out on on how much work this is every month but uh We'll see again when I, I get antsy when I don't record. Um, I'm going to be we've got a great Halloween lineup coming up, a great Halloween lineup coming up. And um, I'm going to I'm going to my plan is to get all of those episodes and my first episode of November completely finished up and recorded by the third week of September. And that'll give me like a six week break. And I know that during that time, I'm going to get antsy and weird about not having this to do. So, like I said, we'll see. I'd like to take a longer break, but I don't know with with the kind of person that I am, if if that's something that I can do. But uh, I could probably get by with doing an episode every other week that I could live with. Uh, but like I said, I, I don't want to do any of those things. So check out the Patreon if you've not. www.patreon.com forward slash soundtracker. Give the show a rating. I know we didn't get there by year two, and that is so frustrating to me. Um, just because, like I said, it is not asking anything, but it, it is what it is. Uh, <clears throat> I'm five away. So if we could get me there, even within this uh, this weekend or something, I would love that. It would make me feel a lot better about everything. So but anyway, here it is. It's it, this is the second birthday of Soundtracker. I'm going to let all that go right now. We're going to celebrate the fact that I've made it two years doing this show uh, with with, you know, Ross, my editor. And, and me making this thing happen. So, um, and, and no one else, uh, except for my wonderful guests, obviously. But as far as like the, 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 how the sausage is made, you know, that's, that's it. Uh, and I'm sorry. And Alex, my wonderful logo guy who every month puts together these wonderful title cards for me, but, um, yeah. And, 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 and I think that we can continue that into next year. So, uh, Soundtracker will be around for season three, despite what I said recently. I, I think I'm going to try to make it work because, again, I just I was so touched by the messages that I got and and the the replies that I got on Twitter. And uh, here's to uh, hopefully me being back here on year three, saying it's year three without any qualms about continuing at that point. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm just glad to be here. All right. Here it is. Space Jam. Enjoy. running in nowhere to hide the beast is coming and he's got you in his sights he ain't gonna miss you and he ain't gonna mess around 
movie with original songs. The soundtrack I'm gonna track you down! everyone welcome back so here it is this is the two-year anniversary or second birthday whatever you want to call it of sound tracker and uh this lined up perfect because i uh you know it made sense when my guest who i'll introduce here in a second asked to do this one it was like oh duh like the two years coming up this is like the perfect you know because i dole out these big soundtracks sort of over time and um space jam is like about as big as they get in the 96 million copies sold and it just makes sense to do this for the two-year here. And joining me today, coming over from the Blocked Party and the POD Cast podcasts, I'm joined today by comedian John Collin. John, how are you doing? Hey, Eric. I am great. Thank you so much uh, for having me on the show. Excited to do to do a dance with you. This is our chance here. Let's do a dance. <laughs> well, and it's funny, too, because we already know from one of the DMs that there's one song that we're going to disagree on before we even get going, which is so funny. <laughs> um, but, uh, but let me ask you, why Space Jam? Because, you know, you host your your podcast, one of your podcasts, the POD cast, is, is a new metal podcast. And um, Space Jam is is obviously very on new metal. Now, obviously, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I have various, I have varied tastes too, so that doesn't mean anything. But why why Space Jam? What made you go? Space well, I contain multitudes, Eric. Uh, I just, well, I, I think I wanted to avoid. So the way we do things on the POD cast is we do one episode a month, and that is like a, a regular episode, or sorry, a regular album from a band. So like Limp Bizkit, Significant Other, you know, Papa Roach, Infest, whatever. It's like, that's the main episode. And then we do one full length bonus episode a month. And we try to do like compilations for those. Mm -hmm. um, so that it could be sometimes we do music videos. Sometimes we end up doing like a smaller album, uh, you know, maybe like a regional new metal band. But often we end up doing soundtracks. And so for the POD cast, I've already done quite a few of the sort of like iconic new metal soundtracks of that era you know your spawn soundtrack your judgment night soundtrack your matrix uh you know the crow we've kind of like we've covered a lot of those so i kind of wanted to get away from those and then the other thing is um, i don't watch that many movies so like if someone's listening to this who listens to the block party podcast they know all about this this is sort of like part of john lore uh, but I famously do not watch very many movies. So pardon me, when you sent me the list of soundtracks, it was a lot of like, oh, boy, I have not seen <laughs> a lot of these movies. <laughs> and so just kind of scrolling down the list, I saw Space Jam and it was both just like knowing, obviously, that I have seen it and I'm very familiar with the soundtrack, loved the soundtrack as a kid, rediscovered it as an adult uh, you know, and, and, and remembered really liking it. And I was like, oh, that would actually be a pleasant thing to talk about. And so I think that was kind of how I came to Space Jam was is like, you know, let's go back and, and, re you know, remember some of the good times and, and yeah, just kind of something a lot different than something we might cover on the POD cast. That's okay. And, and, you know, one thing I like too is because a lot of people fucking hate this movie. A lot of people hate this movie, which is weird to me. I don't understand. I don't know. I, I, I but a lot of people like really, really dislike this movie for some reason. And and so like, kind of with what, I, what we were kind of talking about, I was kind of sheepishly like, 
uh honestly i kind of like space jam and you were like yeah me too and i was like fuck yeah like this isn't gonna be one where it's just like <laughs> shitting all over the movie I, I mean like i get we'll talk about it when we talk about the movie like i understand some of the reasons people dislike it but like it's it's fun it's a fun movie and it brings me back to a really fun time i mean um i was i was 16 when this came out you know what i mean so i might have even been a little but i you know i was my i grew up i was born in 1980 like uh, michael jordan's career was like starting when i was starting to like be cognizant of things so like you know i watched jordan and and of course i grew up loving looney tunes um i still love looney tunes so yeah there's just a lot of things that i like about this and uh, i'm glad you chose it one thing i do want to say too you talked about doing soundtracks and I've, i talked about this right after i did it but in case you didn't know i was on the pod cast doing a soundtrack that has not been covered on this show yet and um the scorpion king so if you have not checked that out you can find it over on the patreon for the pod cast which i will put the link to in this episode description but i was happy to come on and do that and and, and when you talk about not liking movies i didn't i guess i didn't know that lore and it wasn't until i guess that's part of the reason that space jam surprised me too is because you you had talked about how much you liked Angus when I talked about doing the Angus episode. And I remember somebody yeah. being like, you hate movies or you like almost no movies. And Angus is one of your favorites. That is so weird to me. <laughs> so like, there yes. was, it was just, so I, you know, I didn't know what to expect from you when I, I was like, okay, well I know that you're not a big movie person. So let's see what you come back with. And um, yeah, just really pleasantly surprised to see space jam was what you came with uh, because, well, I think, Sorry to interrupt. I like I just I think it's like when I was going into the list, kind of my sort of first thought was like a late 90s, early aughts teen sex comedy, because that was kind of like I watched a ton of those. I was of that age that those movies were kind of like really risque to watch and like fun to watch. And then in in the pandemic, in lockdown, my wife and I went back and watched like all of them. And, you know, a lot of them have pretty iconic soundtracks uh, as well. So that was kind of my thought going in. And then when I just saw Space Jam, yeah, it did really just kind of speak to me in a in a weird way. And and I think like part of it might have even been Angus, too, because that was sort of, you know, I'm obviously familiar with with your podcast and with you. And, and like you said, you were a guest on the POD cast um, and w- which was great. You were great on the show. And it was just like. Um, you know, when I saw you posting about Angus, I was like, oh, my God, I would have loved to talk about the Angus soundtrack with Eric. And then you had kind of said to me, like, oh, yeah, I think maybe I heard you hated movies. So I just figured I'd never ask you on the show. And I was like, well, I don't hate them that much. But but I think it was just like thinking about Angus, like I probably would have been watching Angus right around the time of Space Jam, too. Like, I feel like even though the soundtracks are totally different there's something about like space jam and Angus that like scratches some sort of like pleasure center for me. That's like the same. It's like in the same realm, I think. Cause I think I had Angus on the brain when I was looking at the list you sent me and then space jam popped up and it's like, yes. And it is funny because like I listened to your Angus episode uh, with Mike and it was great. And, and so fun to like revisit, like just hearing other people talk about that movie. Cause I've been saying forever that it's like one of my favorite movies, one of my favorite teen movies. So just to even hear other people talk about it was amazing. But also, like you say, like you said, someone tweeted like, you know, John, you never watch movies and you know Angus. And like it started me thinking and I genuinely don't even know how I know it or like how I first saw it. Like, I don't know. I remember seeing it like very shortly after it came out on on VHS or DVD or whatever it was. 
And I remember renting it. And I don't know if it was like because Green Day was so heavily featured in the trailer and I loved Green Day or if I just thought it looked cool. Like, I genuinely don't know what drew me to Angus. But yeah, it's it's been a movie that I've gone to bat for forever because it's so good. And, and it was just so nice to hear you two talk about it and like give it its propers because I feel like it is such a great movie for that time period. And so many people don't know it. And I, you know, I was really hoping, let's just fucking talk about Angus instead. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, <laughs> This you is know, Angus too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was really hoping to, I was like building it up. Like, by the way, it's on Tubi because it was on Tubi. And like three days before the episode dropped, Tubi fucking took it off. And I was like, God damn it. Oh, I know that it's one of the, no. it's on Hoopla. So if you have a library card, you can watch it for free also. Um, And you should have a library card, everyone. But I just, I, uh, uh, yeah i was i was i couldn't believe it i was like the day that it came out the episode came out i was like and it's on tubi and somebody tweeted at me and they're like actually it's off tubi now and i was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me it was on there like three days ago when i checked just to make sure that it wasn't gone but uh no it's it's yeah as far as angus goes i i at 42 years old here watching it you know like i couldn't believe how warm it is you know what i mean like yeah something i might not have noticed back watching it when i was younger but like yeah it really is due for for uh some sort of rediscovery and uh you know i would have i would have loved to have talked to you about it too so it's okay um, you and my you and mike handled it it was no problem it, it was great and i'm thrilled to be talking about space jam because i think yeah. like you said it is it is funny uh how much people hate the movie it's also funny that like in the same breath, most people who don't like the movie would also be like iconic soundtrack though, you know, because yeah. like, it is like, this is really like a, you know, a very iconic soundtrack and, and of the moment. And I, I think like listening to it really brought me back. Like we'll, we'll get into it when we get into the soundtrack, but like, I just have so many stories that are like directly tied to these songs like that. I didn't even think about really. And then when I was re listening to the soundtrack, preparing for this pod and even watching the movie, it was just like, Oh God. Yeah. Like there was just so many little things I remember about this soundtrack and this era. And it's just, yeah, it's going to be so much fun to talk about. Well, let's, let's, let's dig, dig into it here. You know, one thing before we do this, I kind of thought that the sequel to space jam might revision, like some, some sort of re revisionism where people be like, actually space jam one is pretty good. A lot of people were, and it's funny because so many people were like furious that they were making a space jam too, but they also hate the first one. So it's really weird. You know what I mean? It's like, well, you don't like the first one. What do you care? The second one is abysmal. I'm just going to say that it's terrible, but I, um, I didn't watch just, it. I just saw so many people who I respect whose opinions I respect say how bad it was. I was just like, okay, I'm out. It's, it's ready player one with LeBron James and basketball. You know what I mean? Like it's that, like here's a bunch of pop culture references. Ha ha ha. Like, yeah, it sucks. Um, but space jam one does not suck. And we're, we're, we'll get into a little bit of background on this. I was actually quite a bit of background information on the making of this movie. So start off here. Space jam was the first film to be produced by Warner brothers feature animation. And it was released on no November 15th, 1996, uh, it received mixed reviews from critics who were divided over the entire, basically the complaints come down to, they didn't like the entire premise of the movie, the ones that didn't like it, but, um, they, even the ones who didn't like it and, and, and especially the ones who did like it praised the technical achievements of the way the live action and animation looked together in this movie. And, um, Regardless of what critics thought, it went on to be a huge box office success. It opened uh, first place, 27.5 million, 
in its first weekend, went on to make $250 million worldwide against a budget of $80 million. So huge hit. I'm surprised it took so long for there to be a sequel. It's kind of shocking to me that they didn't like hop on that right away uh, with, with the second one. But uh, the top 10, the week that this movie came out, number one was Space Jam. This is a really, really... Would you talk about... A time and place thing. This is another one of those lists where when I read this top 10 off, you're going to be like, oh, shit. Like it, everything about this is like <laughs> uh, number one was Space Jam. Number two was Ransom. Number three, The Mirror Has Two Faces. Number four, Set It Off. Number five, Romeo and Juliet. Number six, Sleepers. Oh. Yeah, that's uh, which is, I know, another one of those iconic soundtracks. Um, oh, that soundtrack number- is so good. I know. I know. Uh that was that was you know I talk about doling out the big ones. That was one of the ones that I did uh, oh, about a year ago now, where I was like, "It's time for Romeo and Juliet." <laughs> I did. Totally. Uh, and that movie is so good too. Like I, it's yeah. one of my favorites. I'm a substitute teacher, so in English, so I see it like three times a year, and I'm just like never mad to see it. It's so good. That's I didn't know. Okay, see, I, that's funny. I'm I'm I substitute in the winter too, but this year they actually called me. I'm doing like a legit. I'm like like the freshman sophomore uh, honors English teacher this year at school. Oh wow, really nice. weird to me. And, and I don't know that I can get away with Romeo and Juliet that version at that age. But <laughs> um, uh, maybe I, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, try sophomore. I think you can for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah maybe tenth grade. They're old enough. I'll just be like, don't, yeah. don't tell your parents. I guess I don't know. <laughs> um, number six was sleepers. Number seven was the first wives club. Number eight was high school high. Number nine was the ghost in the darkness. And number 10 was Michael Collins. So really, again, very list. You start off with space jam, jump right to ransom. And then you've got Streisand, uh, uh, set it off a really great heist movie. You know what I mean? It's, it's just a really great mix of movies that I think I saw like at least half of those in theaters. I'm pretty sure. So, um, so as far as where this movie came from, so in 1992 and 1993, there were two Super Bowl Nike ads, Hair Jordan and Aerospace Jordan, respectively, that aired and featured Jordan with Bugs Bunny, and um, the Whedon and Kennedy creative director Jim Ros- Jim Riswold conceived the idea of Hair Jordan following the popularity of those advertisements where. And, and depending on how old you are, you remember these very vividly where Jordan played basketball with Mars Blackman, which was Spike Lee. Um, and he chose Bugs Bunny for his next campaign because the character was his childhood hero. So this, the spots were directed by Joe Pitka, who went on to direct this movie. Hair Jordan, that commercial took six months and one million dollars to make for one commercial. And Warner Brothers were, were reluctant to do it. They didn't want to modernize Bugs' character, but the commercial success of both ads was a nice bit of, this is a quote from, from Pitka, a nice bit of research for Warner brothers to understand that bugs still had relevance in, in 1996 or 1993, I guess at that time, and to tie it in with Michael Jordan. So the company went on to green light a film at the time. They had no idea what the film was going to be. They just wanted a film with Jordan and bugs. And it came out of an airplane meeting between the Nike executive and producer of the film, Ivan Reitman. So Jordan had been offered a bunch of movie deals prior to this, but his manager, David Falk, turned them all down because he felt the basketball icon could only act as himself, which is a nice way of saying that, like, Michael Jordan can't can't act unless he's playing himself. You know, it's just kind of kind of a softening the blow there. But the project ended up being written off, though, because Jordan retired from basketball in 93. And and when he returned, that's when they started rolling. Okay, let's let's do this now that he's playing again. So. There were several studios that got pitched the idea. There was no story, no script written. And one of them was Warner Brothers, who who tried to create a more adult, 
sophisticated material that deviated from the formula that had been set by Disney at that time in the animated market. And um, Warner Brothers initially rejected Falk's pitch, and he called uh, Dan Romanelli, the consumer products division leader, and he was like shocked. You know, why would the studio turn down something that has such a high potential to sell merchandise? And um, so they ended up, okay, we're going to go with it. And Pitka wasn't told about the project. Again, he's a director until just a few months before the start of principal photography. And uh, so he came in and he revised the script, wrote, they wrote a scene that was cut where Jordan hit a home run after he returns to earth that was filmed, but ultimately never used. And I'll talk about why that's a good idea when we talk about the movie and his baseball stuff. But Spike Lee came in and wanted to help pick a, with the screenplay, but Warner brothers blocked him out of the project because they were dissatisfied with how he funded Malcolm X when he made Malcolm X. So they, they shot that whole idea down. Um, and according to Pitka, it was difficult to get a lot of the actors involved because of the odd premise. And uh, at the time, you know, this is weird acting in front of tennis balls. You know what I mean? They were talking about acting in front of animated characters and an athlete. They just didn't want to do it. Um, Wayne Knight, who plays Stan, was going to be Michael J. Fox and Chevy Chase, but Warner rejected both actors to save money. <laughs> um, Jason Alexander also turned the role down. And, and there were also attempts to replace Jordan's character with a more experienced actor. But then uh, they, they decided, you know, we're not going to find anyone better to play the, the big basketball star that comes and saves the, the tune squad, you know. And the easiest actors to obtain were the NBA players, aside from George Mirasan. They tried really hard to get George Mirasan and he wouldn't do it. Um, so Bill Murray was in the script from the beginning, but they were unable to book him until filming started. And there were rumors to this day that Jordan had to beg Bill Murray to be in the film. Uh, now, as far as Reitman goes, Ivan Reitman was very serious about voice actors for the established Looney Tunes characters being far better than their original actor, Mel Blanc, which is I mean, I don't know. That, that that sits a little weird with me because Mel was like the voice of Looney Tunes. You know what I mean? Like we got to find someone better than him. Like just try to try to do as best you can at, at doing what he did. But they 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 didn't want replications, and so he got involved, really involved with the voice casting. And Joe Alasky, who who was one of uh, Mel's successors after he died, was put through a series of auditions which lasted for months and he eventually grew tired of auditioning and said fuck this and left the project so they ended up getting billy west who anybody who knows animation will know that billy west was the voice of stimpy on ren and stimpy um he's done a whole bunch of voice work but that was kind of where he had started was was stimpy and ren and stimpy and uh so he learned a space jam on the howard stern show reitman was on talking about space jam and and he was producing private parts at the time which is why he was on there and so he contacted him and Reitman liked his voice talent and asked if he could audition. And uh, he landed the roles of Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd. So they wanted voice cameos. That didn't work out. And Danny DeVito ended up being the only celebrity voice actor in the film. But originally, Mr. Swackhammer was planned to be played by Jack Palance and he was going to be a live action character. This was up until the very final days of development. And uh, they even had Dennis Hopper because Jack Palance didn't back out. So they had Dennis Hopper possibly playing the role because he was friends with the director, but they, and I'm thank God they went with an animated character instead of, I mean, it would have been kind of funny to see live action, Danny DeVito playing swack camera around a bunch of aliens, but like it's, it's, it's gotta be a cartoon. You know what I mean? Like your cartoon villain has to be a cartoon. It doesn't work to have like Danny DeVito just standing around in the middle of a scene with the nerd licks. Um, 
But uh, originally, the classic animation faction of Warner Brothers was planned to be the only company responsible. But after a week, it was so complicated that they had to contact other studios and assign it to outside work. So they signed it to um, the, the feature animation division in Glendale. Uh, so they went from working on quest for Camelot to space jam, like immediately. So this is one of those like grindy sort of movies to get it done. And then it's last little bit of production stuff. And I'll give a little bit of trivia. Space jam was one of the first ever productions to be shot in a virtual studio. So Jordan shot all of his, or all of his films with the, uh, with the Looney tunes in a 360 degree green screen room with motion trackers. And there were green suited NBA players around him and improv actors from groundlings to serve as placement identifiers for the animated characters. And then they had the CGI background replica of a real life setting chroma keyed in. And then uh, Bill Murray was only supposed to be on the golf course scene, but he wanted to be in the basketball game after Pitka showed him the process of how they were doing all of this. He thought it was fascinating and wanted to be involved. So they, they pulled him in. And uh, as such, Space Jam is also one of the earliest animated productions to use digital technology. So like I said, a lot more than I thought on the making of than I was expecting to find. But I, I was like, that's pretty interesting that it sounds like it was um, not troubled's the wrong word, but there were a lot of road bumps getting to Space Jam at the end of the day. Um, and then a few little bits of trivia until a few years ago, the movie's original promotional website could still be. And I didn't know this. The website was still online as exact exactly it has appeared in 1996 and do you know why it's not there anymore sorry i didn't know if that was a rhetorical question (laughs) no go ahead give me your reason well i didn't know no well i knew that it was still up like up until very recently i i did know that um was it like um is it that like the geo cities like stopped hosting stuff or something like that no they changed it to promote space jam a new legacy Oh, boo. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that if you Chuck Jones was very critical of the film and its premise, and he it's so funny. It, this was one of those things where and I get Chuck Jones has the ability to do this because Chuck Jones was very involved with Looney Tunes, but it kind of reminds me of that um onion article where it's like I I love I understand the Muppets on a deeper level than you. Like he he his reason for not liking it was that he was convinced that they did he didn't like the idea and he didn't like that Bugs Bunny would have enlisted help from others in resolving a conflict. And he had this whole screed that he went on about why Bugs Bunny would never ask for help from others to resolve a conflict and he would do it himself. But it was just it's so there's so much thought behind it. If you read the full quote, it's it's really funny that he like he like had a thesis statement on why Bugs Bunny would not have gone to find Michael Jordan in the real world to help the Looney Tunes because that's not how Bugs Bunny works. Um, I hate so, that. Like, it's just like, shut, shut up. You know what I mean? Like, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. That just pisses me off. Like, it just reminds me of, uh, I, I, I reference this a lot, but like one of my favorite pieces of comedy ever is uh, Patrice O'Neill uh, does the roast of Charlie Sheen, like shortly before he dies. And uh, he had turned down a ton of roasts and he only agreed to do the Charlie Sheen one because he like really respected Charlie Sheen, I guess, at the time that like Charlie Sheen was like, fuck you, I'm not doing two and a half men anymore. And Patrice just like thought that was badass. But he had clearly like never really watched a roast before. So everybody was being really mean to him. And so he was just like. He was just like pissed off, you know, and and so he got up there and he had all these notes planned. And then he was just like, fuck you. You've all been so mean to me. 
I'm just going to talk off the cuff because you're pissing me off. And Seth MacFarlane is the roast master. And he starts talking about Seth MacFarlane being like, you know, you think you're bigger than the cartoons, man. Like you're not bigger than the cartoons. Like, stop it. (laughs) You're not like, you know, people like the cartoons more than they like you. He's like, that's why Hannah Barbera were so successful because every time Hannah got out of line, Barbera would smack the shit out of him and be like, you're not bigger than Scooby-Doo. Like, stop it. Um, and this quote just kind of like reminds me of that. It's like, don't, yeah, okay, you created Bugs Bunny. I'm happy for you. Obviously, I love Looney Tunes, but don't be like, well, actually, uh, about Bugs <laughs> right. Bunny's motivations. Like, get <laughs> fucked. Getting on a whiteboard. Here, let me yeah. draw a diagram as to why this would never happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so Jordan, to keep Jordan happy while filming, they he they built him an actual basketball court on the set so he could use it whenever he was on breaks because Jordan is a fucking basketball madman. <laughs> just just a complete lunatic about the game. Um, I love that. I do too. I do too. You know, you hear some of these like things that people want on the set and like that, that seems pretty reasonable to me that like build me a basketball court so I can go and play basketball when I'm not filming, because that's like the one thing I do that like makes me feel normal is <laughs> playing basketball. Totally. Um, so, and then two final things back in the late eighties, Disney asked Warner brothers and I didn't know this. So I, I last night watching it, because I kind of finished these notes up a little bit today. You know that I've told you I was a little, little bit of a rush getting this, this or under the gun, getting this done. But um, there, were, I noticed a few jabs at Disney. The guy hadn't watched yeah. Jam in years. And so Me there's either. a reason for that. Yeah. Like I, I was like, oh, it's funny. They're taking shots at Disney. That's because Disney asked Warner Brothers in the late 80s if they could use some of the Looney Tunes characters for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. So Warner Brothers obliged. And they were under the belief at the time that there was like a reciprocal gentleman's agreement here. But uh which there was at the time, but only under old Disney management who were long gone by the time Space Jam started production. So when Warner started to work on the film, they asked Disney to return the favor and wanted to use a few Disney characters. Mickey Mouse was originally intended to be the match referee. And uh, Disney reneged on the agreement and it's it pissed off Warner Brothers. It didn't surprise them, but it pissed them off. And that's why they decided to write in a couple of digs at Disney in the movie because... Um, of a studio spat basically rich people were mad at uh, doesn't that like doesn't that make you feel like an old man though because like in 2023 i don't even think you could conceive of those two studios like talking to each other like that like you wouldn't even ask i feel like in 2023 you wouldn't even dream of like oh let's just ask disney if we can use mickey mouse like you just wouldn't even it wouldn't even cross your mind so like the idea of like you know i know who framed roger rabbit was the 80s but just like the idea that we're we're not even 30 years in the future yet and that's like back in the day where they're like oh yeah like disney will probably let us use mickey mouse like we let them use bugs bunny like you know whatever like that i just ah uh, it makes me it makes and me feel is- old because i'm like yearning for a time where these like big studios just be like hey can we borrow mickey mouse and they're like yeah sure and you're like oh sick (laughs) and that's the thing now if they made roger rabbit now disney wouldn't even ask they would just like buy warner brothers (laughs) they would just be like we're gonna exactly (laughs) we own you now like we you're you're part of the disney worldwide conglomerate of everything hundred percent hundred percent um and then finally joe pitka as i said is the film's director but Many people who worked on the film, and this is mostly the voice actors, have all said Ivan Reitman was the actual director of this film and that Pitka was only a director for the animation. Now, he 
has himself said he had gripes with not having total creative control, which kind of hints at that maybe maybe they're not lying when they say Reitman is the one. But for whatever reason, Pick got the main director's credit and Reitman only gets credited as a producer. So it's kind of like that uh, poltergeist thing where like people say, well, Toby Hooper is the director, but really this is a Steven Spielberg movie. And, uh, you know, we'll never really know the truth, I guess. But I didn't know that was the case with Space Jam where maybe Reitman and I could honestly, I could kind of see that knowing Reitman's previous work and, and, and watching it with that knowledge last night, I was kind of trying to look for Ivan Reitman sort of moments. And I was like, this feels like Ivan Reitman here more than it. I don't know if Joe pick his work outside of this. So maybe, maybe it's, maybe I'm just reading into it too much, but I, uh, I got to say, I kind of believe that one that, that maybe that's the case, especially with him griping about not having control of the film that, that signed a, that kind of, because Toby Hooper's kind of just insisted that, no, oh, no, I was directed. That was Poltergeist was all me. Like he doesn't say anything like that or never said anything like that. And, uh, but at the end of the day, who cares? You know what I mean? He got the director's credit. So <laughs> he got paid. Director. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, let's let's get to the movie now. That's all. That, like I said, I had a lot of back. I actually cut a bunch of background stuff out because there was just there was so much on this movie. And I was like, I got to get like the pertinent things here. But uh, now we can talk about the movie. So it's funny watching it, as I said last night. So wait, how old are you, John? I'm not sure how old you are. are you? Yeah, are you- so I'm I'm 37. So I was born. I was 11 this 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 movie uh came out like just before my 11th birthday basically okay and i yeah i saw this and it's funny i one one i guess one last aside about this movie and people i saw this in theaters and i remember this is one of those weird oh, memories God. that i distinctly yeah i distinctly carry this to this day i went to the mcdonald's in tiffin afterwards and ran into a couple of my friends from high school that didn't go i went with i went it was like a double date i went with my friends from high school i ran into these kids i know from high school that i was friends with and i was like yeah we just saw space jam and the one's like peacock you getting soft on us and it's like one of those weird things that stuck out to me and i was like what am i not supposed to see space jam like what the fuck um but yeah i i i uh i didn't know because you're talking about like perfect age for this yeah i was like i said i was 16 so i might even been a little old but i've always loved looney tunes but i i think the last time i saw this was if i had to guess was probably college would be my guess we're talking 20 years at this point so i couldn't remember going it's it's it hurts thinking about that (laughs) just to let you well i'm trying to think if i've even seen it like i would have seen it again after it came out on vhs and stuff but like i don't think i would have seen it since like the year 2000 probably like if if i did watch it again it would have been kind of immediately after it came out um mm-hmm. you know for for home viewing so yeah i remember seeing it in theaters and it was funny like i was mentioning earlier about all the different stories and it's funny like you talking about being on a double date like going to see it i remember when i went to see space jam and i think i want to say that i went for like someone's birthday because i feel like i remember that my parents weren't there so I feel like it was like I went for with, you know, with another with a bunch of other kids or whatever. But that was the first time I ever saw people make out was like at Space Jam. <laughs> I have like a vivid memory of like there being a teenage couple sitting like a couple rows in front of us. And, you know, I guess like teenagers in the 1990s did. They made out like basically the whole movie. And I was like, what is happening? Like, I, I, I was like like I said, I was just 11. So I was like vaguely aware of like what they were doing and what was going on. But I remember that being, obviously I'd seen people like kiss before or whatever, but as far as like two people like making out, I feel like that was the first time I ever saw it. And I was just like, 
what the fuck? Like, it just blew my mind that this was like a thing that people did. <laughs> and like, everyone knows the rule of making out in the theater is PG 13 and above. You know what I mean? Like, you don't make out yeah. a PG movie. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, it was uh, pretty for. wild. Yeah, it was pretty wild because I'm sure the theater was mostly kids. So, yeah, so, I mean, they were I'm sure they were kids, too. I mean, I don't remember, obviously, but I would guess they were. Yeah, maybe around your age, 15, 16, something like that. But it was just, yeah, I remember that being the first time and just, yeah, it was mind blowing to me. If you want to do that, do that at ransom. God damn it. Not, not. Yeah, not exactly. Space. Go see the mirror with two faces and leave the kids, <laughs> leave the kids to space jam, please. <laughs> uh, one quick addendum to that story that I, the couple that I went with on that double date, I just recently ran into, I forgot that I was on the, that, that, that was their first date. I ran into this guy. It was a guy I used to run on a flight. I saw him at a, a graduation party that I went to for a student. And he's like, hey, first of all, him and that girl are still together. They're married. Whoa. They've been together for five years now. First, and he was like, Peacock, do you remember you were with me and Marissa on our first date? And I was like, God damn, that's right. And it was fucking Space Jam. <laughs> it was like all this came wow. flooding back to me. Um, so Space wow. Jam was the magic maker. It was it was the secret ingredient. That's pretty for special. That's like what a story. You know, we our first date was going to see Space Jam. Like that is yeah, really. That ages you because like we have friends uh, like Jesse Farrar, uh, who's one of the hosts mm -hmm. of your Kickstarter socks and, and does the go off Kings with my podcast co-host Stefan Heck. Him and his wife have been together since they were in like the seventh grade, which I feel like is my that's like a mind blowing fact as someone who, you know, I didn't meet my wife until I was 32. But like you know, it, it's a mind blowing fact of just like, whoa, since grade seven or seventh grade, as you Americans say, but like, I think when you can say the movie that like somehow makes it even worse or not worse as made, but like more ancient, like it's like grade yeah. seven, you feel like God grade seven, holy shit. That was a long time ago. But when you say something like our first date was Austin powers, or then you're just like, what the fuck? You know, so that's where your brain starts to like fully break. Like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's I, I can't, I don't even remember who the fuck I was on that date with. That's what, that's, that's how long ago it was for me. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even know who the hell I don't remember who I was with. I couldn't remember. We were trying to remember it there. I was like, who was I with? Like, I don't even remember. Um, I remember my friend calling me soft and I remember that I was on the date with those two. I do not remember who I was with that night, but, uh, but okay. So having not seen it, the point, the point that I was getting, at, having not seen it uh, in so long, I couldn't remember going into this because like Batman forever is the most famous example I can think of where it has this incredible soundtrack. And then like only three of the songs appear in the movie. And I couldn't remember if this is one of those movies where the songs don't appear, but they're pretty much all accounted for. And it right up front, you leads with with R. Kelly's "I Believe I Could Fly," and uh, well, obviously we'll talk about that song when we get to it. But we get that bit of of young Michael Jordan talking to his dad, and I love it because it's almost like um, something in Walk Hard or something where he literally is detailing what his life was actually going to become. Like I'm going to be the greatest basketball player in the entire world, and uh, yeah. And it's it's very earnest. You know what I mean? I love how earnest the beginning is given the plot of this movie. You know what I mean? Like, it's very serious, but it's baby Jordan basically trying to dunk. And then they intercut it with actual Jordan footage. And guess what? That shit works. Because like I said, as someone who was born in 1980, like, you know, and then it goes right to the credits, which are like a highlight reel of Michael Jordan playing basketball to Quad City DJs. And again, just it's like a pure nostalgia drip for somebody who like watched Michael Jordan's entire career play out growing up. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's really, uh, it works. I don't care. I don't care if it's like manipulative is the wrong word, but basically it's like, <laughs> well, 
Well, the way I the way I read that opening scene, and and maybe you're you're differing opinion. You have a differing opinion on it, but like when because I'm like I said, same as you. I, for sure, I haven't seen this movie in twenty years. Maybe it's twenty five years. I don't know. And um, all, the way the opening felt to me was it was like the the writers were thinking like, what if someone doesn't know who Michael Jordan is? <laughs> and like that to me is what the opening is. Is they're like, what if someone's going to watch this, but they somehow don't know who Michael Jordan is, which is absurd to me. And I do agree. Like it's a cool way to get the Quad City DJs track in there. And it's fun to see the basketball highlights, but also it's just like, who doesn't know who Michael Jordan is like on its on its sort of face? Like, it seems like they were just kind of, yeah, we just got to put in a little like three minute thing. And then if the whole credits are him, like playing at the Olympics and winning the NBA title and blah, 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 then people will understand going into it. Oh, he's good at basketball. <laughs> They're all cut up three minutes. You got Michael Jordan's life story. Just, yeah. you know, where he's at. I get it. He went to, oh, he went to North Carolina. <laughs> that's look, that's called efficient writing is what that is. That's Absolutely. Well, this entire movie, we're going to get into it, but this entire movie is efficient writing. I think that's a great way of describing it because, well, we can get into it right away because it's basically the first scene of the movie. I cannot believe how quick the exposition is from the like more on mountain side of things. Like it is incredible. You don't know anything about these people, really. Like, all it's like the movie starts. We see Michael Jordan do a bunch of slam dunks, and then it's like, okay, let's go to outer space. And then there's a theme park called Moron Mountain for some reason that's maybe making fun of Disney's Space Mountain in like a very blunt way. And then you just see this like cigar smoking head of the aliens. You see one kid go on one ride, the ride breaks. And the kid's like, Mom, I want to go home. And then Danny DeVito's like, look at this. Nobody wants to go to our theme park anymore. This is disgusting, you know? And then he's like, what do we got to do? We need new attractions. And then immediately they're like, he sits on the remote control. The Looney Tunes pop up on the TV. And it's like within three minutes, we don't know anything about this theme park. We don't know anything about these aliens. We don't know anything about their motivations. Like, it's just so funny to think that if this movie was made in 2023, the first like 25 minutes would have been the Moron Mountain story. And we would have learned <laughs> all about Slackhammer and the, the Nerd Licks and all these guys. And we don't learn anything about them at all. It's just literally like, okay, go, uh, go steal the Looney Tunes to come and be on our theme park. And everybody in the <laughs> audience is like, great, we're three minutes in and we're doing it. Cool. <laughs> And it, you, and it comes back to what you're talking about, where they don't trust you. If, if your reading of the beginning is correct, it's like they don't trust you to know who Michael Jordan is, but they trust you to completely understand the Looney Tunes universe. <laughs> <laughs> and they do, for sure. They totally think you know everything about the Looney Tunes. <laughs> well, one other thing, too, before they even get to there's one thing that happens. And this is before the match, before the more on mountain stuff. It's so weird that it does his actual retirement talking about his dad, especially knowing like how oh, horrific his yes. dad's murder was. And then and then it plays that zany Looney Tunes music as it shoots up to Mount Moron Mountain. It's so jarringly weird the tone because it's like him seriously talking about just wish my dad had been here to see this moment and blah 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 and then all of a sudden we're up there with swack hammer with a scar in his mouth screaming at the nerd looks and it's just so the animation stuff in this movie still looks genuinely great here like it that, does that, when look they, great i was i was pretty uh 
impressed with how good everything looked. And again, DeVito has just one of those immediately recognizable voices and a perfect voice for a character like Swaghammer. Like it's just, yeah. Um, and, and, and again, you know, another thing they do too, kind of at the beginning, I guess, you know what, maybe, maybe they don't trust you to know the Looney Tunes universe because they give you about a 30 second clip of highlight reels from Looney Tunes cartoons on all those TVs while he's watching, he's watching the Looney Tunes. He like great roadrunner right. moments. Great. Uh, so that's like their way of catching you up with the Looney Tunes, but yeah. And, and so him watching the TV is what gives him the idea to bring the Looney Tunes to revive his failing theme park. As you said, Moron Mountain has hit hard times. And um, it another thing this movie does is it doesn't play. And I'm, this is why I'm glad. This is when I was saying I'm glad they cut that part out with him hitting a home run when he returns to Earth. They did no revisionism with his baseball career. Like his, he sucked at baseball. Look, there is no other way to look at it. Michael Jordan had a disastrous baseball career when he tried to make that jump and i like that the movie he can't even hit with the catcher <laughs> the catcher trying to help him out telling him what's coming next and he still can't hit and uh everyone being super nice to him i like i I laughed at the part where they're like he looks so good in his uniform the other coach is like you can't teach that <laughs> it's just really fun <laughs> yeah trying to find like it's, it's a, the good the baseball stuff is great and i do think it's funny you know you like you think about I agree with you like on paper Jordan's baseball career quite bad but like if you watch the 30 for 30 Jordan rides the bus or whatever like yes it's bad but also at the same time you're talking about a guy who basically didn't play baseball for his Mm -hmm. like entire teenage and young adult life and all of a sudden he's in double a and he's like bad but not like bad in a way where you're like oh this is a gimmick like it was a gimmick but not you know what i mean like he played well enough that it wasn't like oh we've got to kick him out of the league like this is just publicity and it's gross like he still hit for over a 200 average and i think he had a couple home runs and like so it is crazy to think about like that he did have obviously not a great baseball career, especially in relation to his basketball career, but also just that he was that good of an athlete that he essentially just picked up a sport in middle adulthood and was good enough to play at the third highest professional level of it. Like it's pretty insane. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I guess when I say disastrous, it's in comparison to, cause the, I mean, he's a, just an unbelievably naturally gifted athlete. There's no of question. Course. Um, yeah. But, you know, Jordan going to baseball had so much. And again, maybe like I remember the hype behind him going like, oh, my God, Jordan's going to try baseball. Is he going to do? And, you know, there's been you're famously Bo Jackson, Deion Sanders, people who have done different, you know, two sports or whatever. Um, And 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 yeah, just Jordan came and it just wasn't it's Michael Jordan who just dominated everything in basketball. And here he is in, in double A baseball kind of struggling to get by. So it was. I guess disastrous is the wrong word for it, but it wasn't great. It wasn't great. Oh, for sure. I wasn't trying to put you on blast. I was just talking about like, just in general, it's just crazy that he wasn't like so terrible. You know what I mean? Like, it's just insane, but yeah, you're right. Like the, the sort of fun they poke at Jordan's baseball career, like mining Jordan's baseball career for comedy. And also, you know, we've all seen the last dance or a lot of us have seen the last dance. Like, yeah, Jordan is a pretty like ego, egomaniacal guy Uh um, and takes himself very seriously. It's actually kind of cool that he was good with it. Like they, this is not the first time in the movie. They're going to make fun of his baseball playing. It's going to come up multiple times. And so it's interesting to me 
And this is very shortly removed from his baseball career when this movie's being shot and when it comes out. So it's cool to me that he was sort of like, yeah, whatever. I like, I understand that this is funny and we should include it as comedy in this movie. Yeah. I, I thought about that last night too, because yeah, I watched the last dance and like, even before last dance, it was kind of famously Jordan was like very serious and didn't have much of a sense of humor about himself. So watching this last night, I was like, it's kind of funny that they let them do all this. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of, it's kind of cool that he, that he was like game with being made fun of as bad as he is for the baseball thing. Cause he was just coming out of that. You know what I mean? He, he's still kind of licking his wounds from that baseball run at the time. This was being made totally, but hundred percent. Um, and I, you know, there's things that I forget about this. I forgot Wayne Knight was even in this and he's, it's so funny. Cause he's basically playing a variation on the Wayne Knight character that he played in everything in the nineties, Newman, Jurassic yeah. Park, that sort of, he's a nice guy in this movie. Um, but it's that sort of like sleazeball nice guy where he's like, not sleazeball is the wrong word, but um, like nervous, very yes. nervous, yeah, twitchy, twitchy. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Very neurotic. Um, but yeah. I, I, so we get the cartoon spaceship that flies over the stadium and it's, you know, it's funny. I only, the only reason I call them nerd lux because they never call them nerd lux in the movie. That's what the monsters are no. called when they're little. Uh, but that's their official name. It's just never stated in the movie. I found that on the Wikipedia. But they they fly underground where the Looney Tunes live, which is an interesting way to world build. That like the Looney Tunes live under the earth is kind of a funny. Like that's where Looney Tune Land is. It, well, is under. And the I earth. love that they talked about that. Like in on Moron Mountain, they're like, we've got to go to Earth because that's where the Looney Tunes are. But then they <laughs> go to like this sub Earth that like and then also the idea that like it's not so far under the earth that they can't access people through golf holes um <laughs> it's like it's like very interesting as well but yeah i thought that was funny too i completely forgot that part of the movie where it's like yeah the looney tunes live under the earth but like <laughs> their version looks exactly like the surface of our earth so it's like that's, like, that's the it's like they're in forests and then like Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner are in deserts or that look like things you see on Earth, but it's just another yeah. separate Earth underneath the Earth that they live in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like it's it's Earth too. They live in Earth too. Yeah, um, exactly. And I'll tell you what, seeing Elmer, Elmer Fudd get fucked up will never get old. That like, gets always funny when the spaceship door opens on top of him while he's standing there next to Bugs Bunny. Like, I just, like, okay, are you are you a big Looney Tunes person? Like, were you a Looney Tunes oh, kid growing yeah. up? Okay. Absolutely. Uh, I love Looney Tunes. Uh, yeah, was always a huge fan. And I actually, one of the, like, best concerts I've been to in my adult life was the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra uh, does this series every year where they'll play like the score of a movie live as you watch. So they'll play the movie on a big screen and then they play the score of the movie live as you're watching the movie. And so I've seen a few different movies. We saw Home Alone. We saw one of the Harry Potters um, before that you were like when you were still allowed to do that, um, you know, and then they did a special like Looney Tunes one um, where they played a bunch of Looney Tunes cartoons and they played the music live and oh, they actually brought in so like normally it's just like the VSO, but they actually brought in percussion people because there's like specialty percussion in a lot of it. Right. You know, where they do the kind of like clips and clops and whatever, like weird sound effects. 
And it was so great. Like it, it was genuinely great. Like if you live in a major city with a symphony orchestra that if they ever do this, go, even if you weren't a big Looney Tunes fan, like hearing the music live while seeing the cartoons, it adds so much to it. It was like, it was awesome. Me and my wife went one afternoon. It was just like a beautiful experience, like great date. Like just go to that, go out for dinner. Uh, it was it was so much fun. Um, and yeah, and I love all the old cartoons. They're great. Yeah, it's, that sounds incredible, by the way. Like that's something I would go to in a fucking heartbeat if it can. I don't live near anything like that. But um, uh, <laughs> I was recently they have like remastered a bunch of the old Looney Tunes cartoons in like like high def and they look incredible seeing them like that with like the the, the colors are just so vibrant. Um, who's your OK? Who's your favorite Looney Tune? Let me ask you that. Who's your favorite Looney Tune character? Well, weirdly enough, I actually I always liked Marvin the Martian. I was like a okay. big Marvin guy. And it like I don't know if that was just me like already when I was like eight years old, knowing that I was gonna be a hipster or something. Uh, but I just loved Marvin. I, I thought his voice was so funny. And part of it, though, honestly, is I had Looney Tunes basketball for Super Nintendo. Uh, which, by the way, if you've oh. never played it, is actually quite a good game. Like it, it's very well done and it controls really well. And Marvin is probably the best player in that game. Um, and so I always used to play as Marvin in that game. And so that really got me uh, to be a big Marvin guy. So if I had to pick a Marvin, but if I got to go like a main, um, I, I'm I it, my main is all is Bugs. I mean, I you just I always just loved Bugs. Uh, you know, we're gonna get to it. He's just so cool. This this is where we're going to have another little disagreement. I'm a I'm a it's for me. It's Daffy or Wiley Coyote. I love why uh, okay. there's nothing not not Roadrunner Wiley Coyote. I love watching Wiley Coyote just like the, the expressions on his face when he knows that he's fucked up. Just kill me every time I watch it. And I love both versions of Daffy. I love the old sort of rascally version, but I particularly love the one who just gets shit on all the time and how he reacts to getting shit on all the time. Um bugs is actually one of my least favorite i still love bugs like there's not there's not really a looney tunes character like i, I don't i never really gave a shit about like peppy Le Pew or um even porky pig is kind of one that like his cartoons were always whatever for me but yeah bugs bugs i don't know watching him now his whole like aren't i a little stinker thing gets a little old sometimes but um I doubt that again, that's not to say that I dislike Bugs Bunny. He's like, he's just not like if I, I guess one of my least favorites is the wrong word, but I would put him probably if I were doing like a tier ranking, he would sit probably at like a B or something. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I he's not one of my favorites, but um, Marvin the Martian is a good one. There's a lot. You're not alone in Marvin the Martian. I've seen a lot of Marvin the Martian like merchandise over the years, but because uh, yeah, he looks so cool, like he looks right. insanely cool. The the like uh, centurion helmet, but then you just only see his eyes and you don't really know what his face looks like. And he was always smart, like in all the cartoons, you know, he would have all these gadgets and stuff. And I, I was like a smart nerd kid. So I think that's why I maybe like leveled with him. Well, and one thing that I left out of my notes at the top earlier was that, um, so they wanted, like I said, they wanted Mickey Mouse to be the referee. And the reason they decided to go with Marvin Martian, and this is funny, like, I like the thought process behind this is that he would have been the neutral one because he's a Looney Tune, but he's also an alien. So like, he would have been the good neutral referee to play. The right. Smart. So, like, That's yeah, so Chuck Jones actually is good again. <laughs> <laughs> it's over and out. <laughs> <of the> cartoons is <laughs> good again. 
Uh, but so Bugs does his Bugs thing to the nerd licks and he kind of talks circles around them. But they, well, you don't see another thing about this movie. You never really see Bugs be the one that gets fucked up, but it happens a few times in this movie where they like shoot him and you get to see him doing the like head bobbing to the side whiskers all, you know, all discombobulated thing that you see happen often with like Daffy or something. But uh, one of the parts where this movie doesn't work and it works once Jordan hits the Looney Tunes world, but they try some of the Looney Tunes gags in the real world, like the small dog knocking Jordan down when he approaches the house. Those are the parts for me where I was like, eh, that that doesn't work terribly well. But it is funny once he gets to Looney Tunes world and they start doing some of the Looney Tunes jokes with him, lifting him up on the rack and lowering him real quick. But uh, there's a couple times where they try to do Looney Tunes sort of gags with Michael Jordan and his family in the real world. And it just it, they, they don't work the same for me. But uh, those have been my only complaints. I'm not like I said, I'm not one to shit on this movie. I love this movie. But like if I had to give one critique for the haters out there, that would be it, I guess. <laughs> just to satisfy um, the haters. I agree with that part, too, particularly that dog part. It was kind of like that. Uh, this isn't how this would go. You know? Yeah, no, I completely agree. Like the, even the whole dog scene, like later on when the Looney Tunes go back to like get the get Michael Jordan's basketball equipment from his house and the dog is kind of screwing like the dog is not an interesting character to me. We already have the Looney Tunes. We have the aliens. We, we've already got enough like supernatural characters we don't need some like horrifying or not horrifying but like some kind of like you know almost um anthropomorphized dog playing tricks on all these people like eh, i don't know didn't yeah that <laughs> didn't hit for me it seemed like they were like oh beethoven was a pretty big movie two years ago we should have a weird dog in this <laughs> thing <laughs> now the one thing though as again as a daffy guy the one thing i like about them in the real world with the dog is that it always ends up with daffy being the one who gets shit on and you get to see daffy doing his like terrified reactions that just crack me up every time he does them but uh but yeah i know the dog thing you're right it felt like yeah i didn't think about beethoven but that does kind of feel like they were like yeah you know what people love big goofy dogs we can't get a big love a goofy dog well let's get a can we get a goofy dog in here kids love a goofy dog and they're not wrong. Everybody does love Goofy dogs. It Disney just literally has a dog called Goofy. <laughs> um, so Jim Rome's cameo is very funny too. Where it's Jim Rome doing the like. It's like they, that could very well have been a, a real Jim Rome podcast or broadcast. I wasn't podcast broadcast where he's just like shitting all over how bad Michael Jordan's baseball career is going because that was kind of Jim Rome's whole thing when he was uh, totally. a big name. Um. And I do like too, uh, with the kids watching TV, watching, you know, he puts on Jordan puts on Looney Tunes for him and, and you see them having their shit fit on the TV that like it's happening in real time as they're watching their cartoon that Porky Pig's coming in and saying there's a huge emergency in, in Looney Tunes land. Um, that, that again, it's just weird world building that this does. Like they're watching an old rerun cartoon, but the thing that's happening in Looney Tunes world is happening on the TV. Like, um, you know, it's one of those things Chuck Jones would probably have to get a whiteboard out and explain why that that doesn't work in the in the Looney Tunes uh, mythology. But yeah, it's it's funny that they have that 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 it's kind of occurring in real time. But uh, but yeah, we get to Daffy as I said, the best being Daffy, and like no one's taking the nerd look seriously. Um, Bugs doing the Bugs Bunny thing and tricking them with that fake rule book that says they have to give them a chance to defend themselves is another funny gag. It's just a handwritten note taped inside of. There are a lot of there are a lot of jokes in the Looney Tunes stuff that feel like classic, but classic 
Looney Tunes is the wrong word, but like they, they at least are, are close enough. You know what I mean? And that is one of them. Like him writing that note in the book feels like something you'd see in one of the like big, funny, old classic Warner Brothers cartoons. Um, and, and again, look, one of my things that I love about this movie is the bits where all of the Looney Tunes characters are together interacting because you really don't see that in the old Looney Tunes cartoons. There's always they're always separated. And sometimes you'd have crossovers where like Bugs Bunny might appear in a a, a foghorn leghorn cartoon or something i don't know if that actually ever happened but you know like they would have crossovers but seeing everybody together interacting is probably my favorite thing about this movie like getting to see all of them together and how their their personalities conflict and uh you know sylvester constantly wanting to eat tweety instead of coming up with ideas and screwing things up and and it's i love that bit about this movie i love that yeah and i think like i'm sure that would have hit harder back then too right like the sort of posse cut of like looney tunes you know we yeah it would have i mean obviously they weren't making new looney tunes cartoons this late in the 90s i don't think but um but you know i I, you're right like i think at that time it would have been closer to the looney tunes era where that would have felt kind of special and interesting it's sort of the avengers type like oh what if yeah what would happen if bugs and the tasmanian devil were in the same room or you know whatever like it is definitely cool to kind of see them all uh hanging out i like that yeah and, and since we this is where we kick the plot into place so they they challenge them to basketball to for the look at these little guys we'll play them in basketball of course we're gonna win this will give us our freedom and uh the nerd like sneaking in in a suit is is very funny too, where they like sneak in a bunch of them piled up on top of one another in that old gag. But this is where we start our cameos. We get Barkley first, Ewing, uh, Sean Bradley, and in the most 1996 thing in the entire world, they steal Muggsy Bogues and Larry Johnson's talent. Now, that's not a knock on either of them. I was the fucking biggest Charlotte Hornets fan when they were that expansion team. Like, I loved Grandmama. I loved, uh, I had, I mean, every, every kid in 1995 or 1996 owned at least one Charlotte Hornets piece of clothing, even if they didn't like them here in the U S because that teal and black was so popular. Um, but it's just so funny that like of all of the people that they're going to steal that, that Larry Johnson and Muggsy Bogues would be the ones, but they were very big personality people. And, uh, just, just as far as basketball players go, you know, there are plenty of other ones that they probably could have gone with there besides those. Well, it's just, Totally. And to me, the the bigger example of that is Sean Bradley. I mean, both physically yeah. and also like literally like he was never an NBA all star. He was never like, a you know, he was famous because he was so tall. He was like the tallest guy in the league or whatever. But he was never I don't even think he averaged like 20 points a game in any season of his career. Like, it just seems interesting that of all the people they could have picked you know, they picked him. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it was just truly because they're like, we want a tall freak in here. Um, and they're like, who's the tallest freak in the NBA? That's Sean Bradley for sure. But yeah, like, because it wasn't even like he was a rookie at because I looked it up because I was kind of trying to figure out like, what is Sean? Like, how did Sean Bradley end up in this thing? And he's seven <laughs> six, obviously, so that's a big deal. But it wasn't even like he was some kind of hot rookie. Like he was drafted in 1993, so he was already three years into his mediocre career. Like even yeah. in his rookie season, he only made the all rookie second team. Um, you know, so it's not like he was some kind of special 
you know, I could see if the movie was made in his draft year, he's drafted second overall, he's seven, six, you're thinking he's going to be this massive star. Let's get him in this movie. But they were long enough into his career at this point where it was like pretty obvious that he was just going to be like kind of an okay player. Um, and, and so that, yeah, his inclusion is, is quite strange to me. Um, you know, and, and again, I think it's probably just that he was like a freak, but yeah, his best season ever, he averaged 14.6 points. So yeah, yeah. He never made an all-star team. He never won a championship. Like it's just a very odd, it's a, just a very odd deal in my opinion. And it kind of, <laughs> it, it kind of feels like uh, maybe they wanted like, they were like, we got one white player on this. St- <laughs> I team. did honestly uh, think that too. I honestly thought that that might be part of it too. Who's well, like the best and, white player in the NBA right now? Well, and remember, they 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 apparently had problems getting George Mirasan, and I'm wondering if Mirasan wasn't their first choice for this role. And then they were like, "Well, we're gonna take Sean Bradley instead." <laughs> it's, yeah. Uh, um. But yeah. So we get you know more cameos: Vladi Divac, Del Harris, Cedric Sabalas. Cedric Sabalas, by the way, while I'm talking about Cedric Sabalas, has a really awesome. There was a um. The league's best kept secret, I think, was the name. It was a compilation album of rappers or basketball players rapping. And Cedric Sabalas has a song on there called Flow On. It's on it's on Spotify that is genuinely fucking awesome. Like Cedric Sabalas has nice. one really awesome rap song to his name. Um, shout, yeah, out, so- shout out Cedric Sabalas. We also get a great cameos from Dan Castellaneta and Patricia Heaton as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 sitting beside uh, the the nerd licks in a trench coat patricia heaton's kind of like oh like there's something's going on beside me and dan castellan is like ah i'm gonna have to get better seats for the you know this is what happens when you get the boss's seats or something like i can't remember what the complaint was but it was just funny to be like is that dan castellanetta in this yeah yeah um and then so yeah we get to bill murray who you know, Bill Murray definitely, as he does a lot of times, um, steals scenes that he's in. I mean, he's so funny with that stupid hat and then his whole thing with wanting to replace the sick players. His line about Larry's not white. Larry's clear about Larry Bird. <laughs> white yeah, Larry Bird. Was, I couldn't believe that was in a kid's movie. Larry's not white. He's clear. Oh, that was an <laughs> exceptional. Exceptional. <laughs> And and there's that really funny. I'll t- there were the, one of the moments that got the biggest laugh out of me is when Jordan gets pulled down through the cup, and there's just that long shot for like three seconds of Murray Bird and Stan just kind of processing what happened, just silently standing there watching this. Like, did 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 we just watch him get pulled into a golf cup? Like, like it's just a really funny long hold before anyone says anything. That's like I just I love little bits like that. Um. I but, did also like that they just leave also like he get you right. basically saw this like supernatural phenomena happen and then they uh, phenomenon and then they're just like, OK, well, I guess Mike's gone and they just like get in the golf cart and drive to the next hole. And then even later on in the movie, we we see Larry Bird and Bill Murray sitting down and Larry's like, geez, I hope MJ's OK. And you're like, <laughs> what? What, yeah. what do you mean you hope he's okay? You saw him get sucked down a golf hole and your reaction was, oh, let's finish our round and never think about this again. <laughs> um, so uh, th- I'll tell you too, the movie is better. Okay, so this could have gone two ways too. And I'm glad they went the route that they did where in the universe that this movie takes place in, like they've done things like this before when they try to do like, I'm trying to think of... Uh, Oh God, this is the worst example, but the masters of the universe movie, you know, like they didn't have, 
the He-Man toys and stuff didn't exist in that movie. And I think that this movie is way better for the fact that the Looney Tunes do exist in the universe this movie takes place in, like as something that they're aware of. Like Jordan is aware when he goes there that these are these cartoons that he grew up watching. You know what I mean? He's not in there like, who the fuck are these? Why am I surrounded by cartoons? I don't know who these things are. Because they could have gone that route too, where like the Looney Tunes exist on Earth, but there's no such thing as their cartoons on Earth. You know what I'm saying? Um, oh, for and, sure. And, when I think it makes the exposition like we were talking about the efficient writing, I think that really helps because you can believe that as a reason, right? Like it's mm -hmm. very easy to think like if I was in Michael Jordan's shoes and Bugs Bunny was asking me for help, of course I would help Bugs Bunny. It's like helping a famous right. person, you know, like <laughs> right. so uh, it's a it's a, you're right. It's like totally the correct way to handle it, because without really needing any exposition at all, you can totally believe the situation that Michael Jordan is in. You, you never have to go, why would Michael Jordan be playing basketball with Bugs Bunny? It's like, because it's Bugs Bunny and he's in trouble. Duh. Yeah, yeah. I would help Bugs Bunny now if you're in trouble. Of course. Um, of course. You would. <laughs> so would everybody. Uh, there is a moment, too, where I was like, in my notes, I put the part where they do the shot inside Jordan's ear. That is a Ren and Stimpy ass animation that they show there like that up close disgusting like earwax there's like what the fuck is in his ear there's like a paper clip in his ear like it is yeah 100 i was like this is a ren and stimpy this is like they're they're doing ren and stimpy right now is what they're doing with this shot like it is so it doesn't it doesn't feel like anything else in the movie when when you see it it was like almost jarring to see a shot like that but um so yeah they they get Jordan agrees to help him out and they they show him that shitty gym and and Taz I love Taz doing he's like a buffer for when they spit shine everything and and all of a sudden it's perfect it's just one of those gags I love too like uh, when when Frank Drebin comes out of the oil in Naked Gun two and he uses a towel and all of a sudden his hair is like perfectly pristinely white again like I love shit like that when, when yeah and just the idea of like a spit shine being literal right they're like you know okay yeah. well, time for a spit shine and then all the Looney Tunes characters immediately are like <laughs> like you're just spitting everywhere hacking up you know it's like that's such a classic like that felt like you'd that would have been a gag you would have seen on merry melodies or whatever you know like just, right we'll take spit shine literally and we just start spitting everywhere and then yeah taz spins and cleans it up <laughs> um and, and 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 the monsters come in and they 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 fuck up man they turn jordan into a basketball they call him washed up call him bald and that's that's a that's a big mistake um i like even though that even that one monster feels bad for little tweety bird when tweety bird gets fucked up like he's kind of like or when tweety bird's sad like there's like even that one monster is like i i you're 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 hurting my heart right now tweety <laughs> um because, you know, he's got those big eyes and that sort of personality that you would feel bad if you saw Tweety Bird get 100%. <laughs> uh, I thought there was going to be a very dated joke when Barkley goes and plays those teen girls in basketball because I was just waiting for it to be him being like, I can't even beat a girl. But like, it doesn't go that route, thankfully, because I, you know what I mean? It's 1996. You have no idea what you're going to get here. But uh, and that leads to I love all of the NBA players trying to figure out why they can't play anymore. And they're seeing that shrink who. Even even hints they they make it it's sort of subtle at first that's subtle but like he looks exactly like Sigmund Freud you know what I mean and and uh, they even go so far as to have him bring up the mom thing um, that that I just I liked seeing like Barkley and and like Ewing and them seeing some shrink trying to figure out why the fuck they can't play basketball anymore I like that it doesn't abandon that plot line and it's like a B plot for the movie that they're all kind of trying to get their shit together and figure out what happened to them.
is is one totally. of totally well and the, the uh, like i don't know if we want to flash forward on what comes later but like some of the other things they do to like really cement that b plot is so funny like when they go to see the um like fortune teller <laughs> and she's and and it, you know it's like obviously a caricature of a fortune teller gazing into a crystal ball and then she's like okay so i'm seeing um michael jordan is uh playing with the looney tunes and um there's these small aliens and they came and stole your basketball playing powers to uh, in order to enslave the Looney Tunes to bring them back to their theme park more, you know, and then Patrick Ewing's like, what the fuck? I'm out of here. Get me out. This lady's crazy. You know, and she's just basically yeah. explaining the plot of the movie. That was a really <laughs> nice moment. I thought. Yeah. It's basically the Wikipedia summary for the movie. And they're like, this is ridiculous. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Michael Jordan's play. And of course, like it's also plays on your expectation, especially at that time of like what a clairvoyant would have been, you know, you'd think like, Oh, I'm going to go get my fortune told. And then they would be like, Oh, your mom's up in heaven with bugs bunny. You want to talk to her or whatever? And you'd be like, okay, <laughs> yeah. Bugs bunny. Great. Glad I spent 50 <laughs> bucks on this. <laughs> oh, and another thing this movie does too you always it was always bugs dressing as a girl bunny and making other characters horny but you get to see you get to see horny bugs in this when lola shows up and he's kind of misogynistic <laughs> it is the lola thing is so funny for two reasons the first reason is the obvious she comes into the gym and the basically the the music cues the script writing is basically like you want to fuck this bunny wait <laughs> bugs wants to fuck this bunny but also you as just a human guy you also want to fuck this bunny let's be serious <laughs> you know uh which is so funny that they play it like that that's the number one funny thing and then the number two funny thing to me is like how do they not know who lola is you know, like I know that she's a new character in this Space Jam universe, but it's very funny to me. We're being sold that this Warner Brothers universe exists below the Earth. It's its own self-contained world. I just can't imagine there's like a creature in that world they wouldn't have known. Like, you don't think Bugs Bunny right. is like the famous bunny wouldn't know of this mega hot bunny that lives in his world? Like, <laughs> that just seems so crazy. But she's aware of them. She's like, wait a minute. Yeah. Do I hear do I hear basketballs bouncing in the gym? I'm actually yeah. very good at basketball. I should go see what's going on. Like it's such yeah, a, a straight and obviously it's a cartoon movie, who cares? But that was just yeah. a very funny thing to me where I was like, how is Bugs never met Lola before? That does that doesn't <laughs> check out to me. <laughs> and I hadn't thought about that cuz you always assume Bugs is basically the king of Looney Land. Like he's got to exactly. know everything. <laughs> <laughs> right especially if the, you know he's like oh who will be who will my fair maiden be and they're like bugs we got this absolute dime uh this bunny <laughs> you won't even believe just a huge ass she looks incredible she's athletic she's live you're gonna love her you know like yeah he's the king he would have known who the hot bunny was get Absolutely. get real <laughs> um so you get to the little bit where they go to get jordan's shoes and, and shorts in his home and uh you know he always had the dog stuff kind of but 
I do love and one thing I love about that bit. I love I love how they're just being loud in the house and they wake up the fucking kids. But I also love that his kids just accept that their dad's going to play a basketball game with cartoons. They're just like, oh, cool. Like, yeah, sounds great. Like, I can understand with the youngest daughter, but the other kids are supposed to be at least 13. I would have been like a 13. I would have. That's like that tweet. We would have killed him with hammers. Like, yeah, I don't know what I would have done. And I you know what, though? Like, it's just, uh, you know, I am definitely I'm someone who doesn't watch a ton of movies but i'm also so very much in the camp of like why is every movie two and a half hours long these days or two hours long you know it's like they don't movies don't need to be that long and i just love that like this movie's an hour and 27 minutes long and that's including the credits so it's like an hour 20 basically and you're right like we just there's just so many moments where they could have made so much more of a meal out of it there could have been a whole 10 minute like we got to convince the kids that it's OK that we're in their house, that like we're not going to hurt them, that we're actually, you know, and they do this whole explainer to the kids. Oh, your dad's with us, but it's OK because we got to beat these guys, you know, and you're right. Like, it's just beautiful. The kid just goes, oh, my God, Bugs Bunny's in my house. Cool. And you're just like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, great. Like, it's just yeah, it's great. Yeah. You know, you I just I love like that. Dad. I love that economy of writing. And and I think that's more emblematic of the nineties in general, but I just love that. Yeah. So many times it's like, there are options to explain these things in much, much greater detail. Um, and they just don't. And it's fine. It's funny you say that too. Cause I look, I mean, some of my favorite movies are like three hours long, but like, I, I, I can't watch those regularly. So I'm a huge fan of a tight 90. And, um, I was so excited when I turned this on because I didn't remember. And I was like, I could see this one being one that they bloated too much. And when I saw that hour and 27 minutes, I was like, fuck yes. Thank God. Like I just, I was ready for a tight 90. Um, Cause I just saw the Meg two at the drive-in over the weekend. And I'll tell you what, that was like an hour and 50 minutes. And they could have cut at least 35 of that out of the middle because that middle drags so bad. Um, That's the thing, right? It's like, there are so many great movies that are like 85 minutes long. Like it, you don't, not everything has to be so long. I don't know. It's the same with albums, right? It's like you do the POD cast and so many of these albums came out in an era where people were, and I get why they did it. It's like people were complaining that CDs cost so much money. So the labels and the band's response to that was, okay, well, we'll give you 17 songs. We'll give you a Mm -hmm. 70 minute album because you're paying $20 for this. So we'll give you more of the thing to make it worth your money. Like I get why they did that, but there's just so many albums where you're like, Oh, we could cut six songs out of this and it would be amazing. But instead we're just strapped in, you know, and it's the same thing. I think that's where movies are at now is like, yeah, that all these quote unquote masterpieces are getting into the two and a half, three hour mark. So then that's making like popcorn movies feel like they got to be two hours. And it's like, you just don't ha- they don't have to be that long. It's just a nice tight like you said, a tight 90. Ah, I would I would love it. When I was a kid, I thought movies and I'll tell the story again when I eventually do the judgment night episode, but when I was a kid, I thought that uh or not kid, I guess, teenager. I thought that movies that were like two hours long were always like Oscar contender. Like I was like, that's an Oscar yes. contender movie. <laughs> Judgment Night's yeah. like an hour and 50 minutes. And I was like, wow, this must have been like one that got rave reviews and it's going to be like an Oscar movie someday. <laughs> and, it's like, and then like I found out later that like critics fucking hated it and shit all over it. <laughs> but I didn't I know any better. I specifically remember my parents going to the video store and we had a local video store we used to rent from called DJ's Video Hut. And uh, so it wasn't like a blockbuster or whatever. And their 
thing was they used to put the run times on the cover. Like they would make like a little sticker and put the run times like on the front of the movie cases. So you knew like when you were looking at a movie, how long it was going to be. And I can specifically remember my parents never wanting to rent anything that was like in the two hour range. Like it was oh <laughs> two hours. Like, fuck that. We're not going to watch a two hour movie, you know? And now it's like, yeah, you go see cloudy with a chance of meatballs four, and it's two hours and 15 minutes long. And you're like, what the <laughs> fuck are we doing here? You know what I mean? You, I, I just saw talk to me a couple weeks ago and it was an hour and 34, man, lean and efficient and yeah, fucking like, scary. As hell. It's great. Like that's a great movie time. Anyway, we don't have to keep. We don't have to sidetrack. No, I don't, on, I don't. But it's just like it's beautiful. Like uh, yeah, the the runtime in this is beautiful. Yeah, well, and it, I didn't realize too. It's like ten minutes worth of credits. The movie's only like an hour yeah. and seventeen minutes at the end of the day. It's like a really long end credits because there was so much involved with making this uh, the movie. But so we get to the big game just as the NBA is canceling its its season because everyone's whatever the, the players are getting sick. They think and. Uh, one of my favorite, probably my favorite gag in the entire movie is Daffy coming out to crickets. Like it is so fucking funny. Like him walking out and it's just complete silence when he comes out in the stadium. So it's funny, so especially because they do the big songs. Like there's a bunch of songs that are not on the soundtrack, but that are like legendary jock jams that everybody's <laughs> coming out to. And it's like, and Daffy duck. <laughs> and then there's just, it's yeah, it's really beautiful. Um, I agree. Great, great gag. And I think it's like, I don't even necessarily remember that Daffy where he was like the guy that kind of got made fun of for being too high strung and crazy. Um, So it was like kind of even a nice surprise of like, oh, right. I forgot Daffy kind of for a while there became just like the punching bag of Looney Tunes. It was great. And I also the arena closing. Didn't that just remind you of COVID? Like that was yeah. so funny to watch. And we're shutting down the NBA where the players could get sick and we can't. Uh, <laughs> and I love yeah. the idea that they're draping off the stadium. Like they're somehow like the illness is contained in the stadium. Like it just, it goes, it does all the, almost this like uh military movie, like Terminator style drone shot of the great Western form where the Lakers used to play. So it's also funny because where we see them get their talent stolen is Madison square garden, but we're across the country at great Western form. And we just see this sort of like helicopter shot fly in. And then we see these like police and army vehicles drive up and they are taking ground to roof of the form sheets and throwing them over the stadium like this is how we're going to contain this disease that's stealing the talent of the nba players it was a great a great scene but also yeah like i was like wow this is we just lived this this is very (laughs) right right yeah (laughs) uh and despite all those great entrances the monsters come out to hit them high so automatically they have a better entrance like it was so good (laughs) um but as far as these things go rough start for the looney tunes jordan and lola are the only ones really doing anything and they're just getting decimated at halftime and uh stan overhears that that they stole these nba stars abilities and so he tells jordan and jordan tries i love it jordan tries to rally the team and it doesn't work and he's just like bugs is like we just got to trick them (laughs) they they drink a special liquid that makes them good and that's that's their motivation which is a kind of very funny looney tune sort of thing that like his like great speech that he gives is met with nothing and then it's like, if you drink this water, you'll be good. And they come out and play great in the second half. Um, 
along with some of their Looney Tunes chicanery, you know, I forgot about the Pulp Fiction reference too, which is, is I completely forgot that, that uh, Elmer Fudd and Yosemite Sam get to be yeah. Jules and, and Vince for a second. But so good. Yeah. And the thing I loved too about it is like, they drink yeah so bugs just fills up a water bottle with water and then and then draws like a little sign on it that says like michael's secret juice or secret sauce or whatever <laughs> it's called and then he he like tries to get michael to buy into like oh michael this is what you drink before every game you know and all the looney tunes drink it and they're pumped up but really what helps them win is they just go out and be looney tunes like they don't get any better at basketball they just go out and they're like oh what would happen if uh, yosemite and elmer shot the monsters uh, that would actually probably be pretty good for us. What would happen if uh, Wiley Coyote blew up the hoop while they were trying to sink a basket? Like they don't actually ever get better at basketball, which I kind of like, but I also like the idea that they're trying to get pumped up to play basketball. And then they're like, no, we actually just need to like fuck with these guys. And that's, what's going to help us here. Right, right. We're not actually good at basketball. We're good at being Looney Tunes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Which is cool. Like that's a fun way to do it for sure. Uh, yeah, so we get, and this is, I love this too. So Swackhammer's mad, you know, they didn't take Jordan's talent and, and Jordan, which is funny knowing what we know about Jordan now, because this is something he would probably really do. The gambling addict that he is decides to raise the stakes. Like we're going to raise these stakes. Let's, let's play real bets here. And, uh, that, that if they lose, they have to give back the talent. And if the Monstars win, they can keep Jordan instead. And uh, they start playing that roughneck style. And Tweety, Tweety Bird in an iron lung is another very funny image when it scrolls that down the sideline. The whole panning of that bench there is so perfect. Tweety in the iron lung is the best, but like all of them are great. I love the subtle one that if you were a kid, you might not even pick up on it. But Foghorn Leghorn is now just a fully cooked chicken. <laughs> like they don't like they don't do any modifier to make you realize it's him. Like they don't do the like they didn't do the sort of they could have made a sort of like red kind of like head or, you know, they could have done something where you're supposed to know it's Foghorn Leghorn. But it's just all these Looney Tunes injured and then just a fully cooked rotisserie chicken on the bench, <laughs> uh, like look like dressed like a Christmas turkey. And it is like that to me was such a great sight gag where I was just like, oh, cool. Like you, you had to go not that far to get it, but you had to go just to, you just had to a little bit. You had to go a little bit to get it. I thought that was really good. Yeah. I, well, and again, Falker and Leghorn is another one of those ones who gets fucked up better than just about anyone in the loony. Like I look, do look anytime he says it's a good thing. I have my feathers numbered for just such an occasion. When I was a kid, I thought it was like the funniest thing in the world when he'd get all of his feathers like blasted off in some sort of mishap. Um, so yeah, I like seeing that they bring that too. Uh, but yeah, so Stan comes in cause the team's down to four and he gets crushed immediately, but makes a three. And this is where Jordan learns. Oh, what I can do Looney Tunes shit too, like stretch and do things like that. And, uh, but they're still down a man. Another great line when Bill Murray comes in and they say, I didn't know Dan Aykroyd was in this picture is another great, funny little like great line. Um, and, and and that leads to some really funny things like Bill Murray. Come, I love that Bill Murray and Daffy immediately become boys. Like when Bill Murray gets there, like they're immediately boys. Um, and 10 seconds left. Jordan's advice is just get the ball to him. And I love another Bill Murray. When I say Bill Murray's when, when Jordan's dunking from half court and you see Bill Murray standing over there going, Mike, I'm open, Mike, I'm open. Like, why would you pass it to him? When you, <laughs> um, but, uh, and then we get the come up and she, it's like, it's like, um, you know, at the end of you get that where Swackhammer is like abusing the Monstars and they realize at this point, wait a minute, we're bigger than you. Why are we taking your shit now? And they launch his ass back to Moron Mountain and give the talent back. 
And uh, but the, the, the nerd looks have not really done anything wrong. They're just under the thumb of swag camera. So as such, the Looney Tunes allow them to stay. And uh, we wrap everything up real quickly. Again, it's a movie that just ends. There's not 10 endings like Jordan goes back for his baseball game um, in a cartoon ship. The players get their talent back and, and the players go Jordan into coming back to basketball. And that is the ending this movie has. And it's the ending that it needs. You don't need any more than that. It, it ends. It all ends in like three minutes after the game's over. You know what I mean? Like that's it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it's exactly what you want. I, I did love the ending. Is really creative. Like just the idea of MJ. Yeah, figuring out. Okay, yeah. You just you you're in Looney Tunes land, my guy. You can do whatever the hell you want, and being like, oh, that's good information that I got t- with ten seconds left in the game. Uh, <laughs> but like, yeah, it's great. Like it it, it plays off perfectly. Um, yeah, really well done, really well wrapped up and, and, um, yeah, no complaints, no complaints about all of that. And I did like the raising of the stakes too, only because like, we really only get, like I said, that sort of two minutes in the beginning where we even understand what the stakes are. Um, so it's like nice that they add a little bit extra at the end there. So you care just that little bit more because otherwise it's still hard to believe, why we would care that much about the Looney Tunes having to go live at a theme park other than like Swackhammer <laughs> seems mean. It's kind of like, well, they did, that's sort of where they would live, isn't it? At a theme park. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> right. Seems perfect for the Looney Tunes. Uh, but no, I'm glad. I'm glad. Again, I'm glad to have done Space Jam with somebody who likes Space Jam because there's a lot of people that hate this movie. And uh, sorry, sorry, haters. You, you don't like well, fun. Uh it was also just like, I, I think it's one of those ones where if you didn't live it, maybe you would absorb it differently because it does, you know, I think the animation is super well done, but also if you had never seen it in 1996, maybe you'd have a different appreciation for it. And it's one of those ones that's easy to clown on. But I was going back last night because I was curious how Roger Ebert uh, took it in and he gave it three and a half out of four. And then I watched mm-hmm. the Siskel and Ebert uh, episode and they both gave it two thumbs up and like, rousing thumbs up and it was kind of interesting that their sort of main takeaway from it was that they thought that space jam was so good that looney tunes was going to be primed to like compete with disney that like that was sort of like ebert's read on it was that you know warner brothers has kind of you know not really done a lot in the animation space and realizing like after lion king and aladdin and pocahontas and all the disney movies of the 90s and then you know toy stories on the horizon at this point um you know starting to realize like oh shit there's a lot of money in making animated films like that's where he thought this was going was like oh warner brothers like what a great first animated vehicle you know and then obviously they never really did anything after this but like yep. it was just interesting that they they both thought so highly of it they're like yeah, this is a perfect like first entry into being a major player in animated movies and it feels that way watching it it just i don't know why they never capitalized they waited till that back in action like six years later that was i love joe dante but it's not a good movie it's just not yeah. a good movie hi everyone so i'm back with another patreon pitch but something's changed this time So I've been saying since the start of the Patreon that this is basically what's going to help keep this show going. And for people who might be sitting on the fence, I have something exciting. Patreon picked me as part of a test group to try free trials. So if you're someone who's been debating whether or not to get signed up, go to www.patreon.com forward slash soundtracker. 
where you'll find my $3 tier, my $6 tier, and my $8 tier. The $3 tier comes with a 14-day free trial, and the $6 and $8 tiers come with a 30-day free trial. There's no commitment, and if you don't like it at the end of the month, you can cancel. But in that time, you can check out the bonus episodes and get a feel for it and see what you think. And if it's something you enjoy, hey, welcome aboard. But give it a shot www.patreon.com forward slash soundtracker. I'm not sure how long I'm going to be able to offer this, but as of now, it is something that I can offer. And it's exciting, and I'm hoping that this gets more people to check out these bonus episodes because there's some truly great stuff in there and more to come. Well, all right, let's talk about the soundtrack. Hell yeah. So the soundtrack released on October 29th, 1996, and it debuted at number 13. It eventually peaked at number two off the strength of six singles off of this album, and it went on to sell over six million copies. It placed number 69 on the best-selling albums of the 90s. Just a huge, huge soundtrack. Um, The top 10 the week that it released. Number one, this is another very 1996 top 10, Snoop Dogg's The Dogfather. Mm-hmm. Number two, Tupac's Machiavelli, the Don Caluminati, the Seven Day Theory, which is an extremely long album title. Um, <laughs> number, it's a great, great, great Tupac album, though. Uh, number three, No Doubt's Tragic Kingdom. Number four, Celine Dion's Falling Into You. Number five, Mo Thug's Family, Family Scriptures. What was that? Oh, I was just mm-hmm-ing at Celine Dion as a Celine Canadian. Dion, yeah, we have to, we have to give Celine her. Uh her propers so what was on falling <laughs> into you i'm trying to remember like i know the words to like a, a disgusting amount of celine dion songs because my mom used to always uh listen to them in the car I'm just mom, trying to think, oh it's this one where she's uh oh yeah is this because you loved me is on this one is that the big one let me see here what's yeah, the track i don't know there you go it is yeah because you oh and it's all coming back to me now oh well there were moments of gold and there were it's flashes of light. There were things <laughs> I'd never do them. again. Then they all, and, yeah, and then Because You Love Me is a great one, too. For all those times you stood by me. For all the truth that you made me see. Anyway, uh, great hey, album. I'll, I'll always have a thing for Celine Dion, a soft spot for Celine Dion, because um, for years, people would try to get, because obviously very famously elliot smith when he played at the academy awards was up against the titanic song there's no fucking way he was winning and elliot smith at the academy awards was already weird enough you know what i mean and uh people would try to go to him for years and to talk a shit about celine dion and he refused because she was so nice to him in the backstage like he he said that she he was nervous as fuck and she was one of the nicest people he met back there she was super nice to him and i'll always always have a thing a soft spot for celine dion because of that story because that's just that's cool you know what i mean like that's she's cool that always she felt like canada's kooky aunt she's kind of <laughs> always had that kind of vibe so yeah that like when that it was funny because i remember when that came out that sort of anecdote because i feel like it was quite a bit after or at least like it, you know, it had a viral tweet related to it or something like that. And people kind of like changing their mind on Celine. And I maybe it was just because I'm Canadian, but I was like, yeah, we've always known, like, of course. Yeah. Celine is just a nice lady. We've all known that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. No, it, it was. It's a great. It's an awesome story. She rules. Anyway, sorry. Keep going. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Uh, the rest of the top 10. Number six is the Avita soundtrack. Number seven, Kenny G's The Moment. Number eight, the Set It Off soundtrack. <laughs> Kenny G's on here a lot more than you'd expect, man. <laughs> he pops up on these top 10s all the time. <laughs> Kenny G owned the 90s. Uh, number nine, Tony Braxton's Secrets. And number 10, Van Halen's Best of Volume One. So further great. down the charts, these are 
three albums by notable artists that were big, but not big enough to crack the Billboard top 10. Number 11 this week was Lil' Kim's Hardcore, which peaked at number 11. Number 86 was Aaliyah's One in a Million, which peaked at number 18. And at number 123, Mazzy Stars Among My Swan, which peaked at number 68. So just to give you a little more of an idea what the musical landscape was like in 1996. So as far as these songs go, every song on this soundtrack is a soundtrack original. There's not one that was plucked from a prior album. These were all songs that were made for Space Jam. So starting us off, and this is where, look, John, we already know that we have a disagreement on this one. Seals Fly Like an Eagle, which is a cover of the Steve Miller Band song. It was one of the six singles. This one peaked at number 10 on the Billboard Hot 100. It was his final Hot 100 top 10 song to this day. Number 13 in the UK, uh, number two in Canada. And according to Seal, the executive producer of the Space Jam soundtrack, Dominique Trenier, asked him to record it. So I didn't know this. D'Angelo is who plays keyboards on this song because he was managed by Trenier. And uh, Seal Seal said Steve Miller approved of this cover version and called him up and said thank thanked him and said that was the best cover version of the song he's ever heard, which to me is damning with faint praise. Like, look, it's and I, here's where it's not Seal's fault that I don't care for this song. Um, I'll do my cover song questions that I always ask. Is it different enough to justify existing? Yeah, mostly. Did he fuck it up? No, honestly, to me, it's a better version of the original. The problem is I don't like the original version or Steve Miller in general. And this song still kind of reminds me of the original version. So that's my issue with this one. I, uh, I, I agree. I'm not like a massive Steve Miller guy. Um, I just that the whole style of classic rock, I would say that Steve Miller does has never really been my thing, but I don't mind the original fly like an Eagle. But to me, I mean, this is a cover song that improves on the original and it's a great sure. song. I mean, seal just sounds like he's gliding on this thing. Are you, it's just mm-hmm. like, it's so even I love, you know, my favorite part of the entire song is right in the beginning when seals just like, da 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 yeah like it's before the song even starts he's just like he's he's just in his fucking bag on this song seal is all the way in his bag i love it um you know i i remember thinking this song was cool as hell when it came out in 96 i've my view on this song has never changed it's a great song and i think like i i do i am a sucker for a cover version of a song like because the original song is a little shaggy right like it's a little like it's it's a little loose it's a little jammy and so i'm always a big sucker for just like let's take this kind of shaggy rock song and like smooth it out and give it some soul and give it some top level production Oof, love it yeah it's a great to me great song i'll never get tired of hearing it i don't think in my life and i've heard it a hundred times at minimum and see, here's the thing. I don't I don't dislike this version. It's more interesting. And I think if you remove the original version, I would probably really like this version. But I just hate the original so much that like I'll hear this version and then I get the original one stuck in my head because I've heard the original version so many fucking times on classic rock radio and and uh, just in general. And I had friends that love Steve Miller in high school. All kids go through that phase where like they like every classic rock. Oh, Steve Miller's greatest. Well, not maybe not now, but when we were growing up, you know, I got Steve Miller's greatest hits. I got that Doors greatest hits album. And it's like, like it's shit that like just now I don't particularly care for. Um, everyone thought magic carpet ride was the greatest song in the world when I was in high school. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, I think I, missed, I think I missed that. Thankfully, I think I was maybe a little too young, like, but I, I definitely grew up with kids that liked classic rock, but I don't know that we had, 
a sort of there wasn't like a classic rock revival i wouldn't say in our kind of in our kind of era which was nice i suppose lucky you <laughs> no, but, uh, <laughs> uh, so that leads us to number two coolio the winner now here to me is where the soundtrack really takes off and this song rides that really great sample it samples the impressions we're a winner and i i think i think people forget now because coolio did like reality tv and i think he did like the apprentice or something at one point but people forget what an incredible winning streak coolio had in the mid to late 90s like he was a fucking hit machine um I'm kind of surprised for that reason. This one wasn't a single too, because this is such a great breezy laid back summary rap song. And like Coolio's in his top form. It's got a catchy chorus. Like I love this song. Coolio knew how to make a fucking hit for like five years. And it's incredible. If you look at his run back then. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and like weirdly like a soundtrack run as well, right? Like gangsters mm-hmm. paradise, like floats the dangerous mind soundtrack. This song is on here. Like just a great, like he's on a great run, but then is also having these sort of like iconic songs on these soundtracks. I agree. I'm surprised this wasn't a single. Also interesting, like this just isn't what you would think of from Coolio. Like it's basically a song. It's kind of like a rap song for kids. That's basically <laughs> yeah. like uh, you can do anything you want. And if you just kind of like put your mind to it and you have a positive attitude, you can be a winner. Like I don't know. It was just, you're right that the the beat is great. The the use of the samples, fantastic. Like all of that is really wicked, but it's just, I couldn't get over the fact that, you know, Coolio, this guy who wrote Gangsta's Paradise and who's had a tough life and he looks kind of crazy, just like stepped into the booth and was like, yeah, I'm going to cut a track where I'm just telling kids like, Hey, you know, just like do good. It's like the say your prayers, eat your vitamins, like Hulk Hogan kind of affirmations in this <laughs> song. Like it just, it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it feels, it feels a lot like he also had um, another soundtrack song. I, I was trying, I was double checking. I wasn't wrong on this. Uh, See you when you get there was from the nothing to lose soundtrack, the Martin yes, Lawrence, right. uh, Tim Robbins. I thought there was um, a third one and I couldn't remember it. So then I, I thought that in my own head, I'm like, I just said he had a great run of soundtrack songs. And then I named two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, but yeah, uh, uh, this almost feels like something off of his very first album. The one with fantastic voyage on it. But like you said, more so for like a, a a motivational song than something off that like production wise and like the way he's rapping, it definitely feels more like something off of why am I blanking on the name? Takes a thief. That's the first album. But yeah, uh, Coolio is great. Um, I like this song yeah. a lot. Great song. So uh, at number three, we've got the Quad City DJs with Space Jam continuing the winning streak. And this one was another single, but it didn't do much on the charts. I think the reason for that is mostly because at this point, I just, it's so fucking funny that I know this shit, but I had what there were huge Miami bass phase like a year ago. By this time in the 90s, the Miami bass wave that was like pretty big for like three years was starting to recede. Like Quad City DJs had the last big hit of that era this same year with come on ride the train, but really it's time had passed. Uh, but I have so many great memories of like junior high, high school dances to like Tootsie roll or whoop. There it is. And like songs like this, just bring that rushing back. Um, and, and, and this one actually references whoop. There it is not whoop. There it is, but whoop, because there were two competing songs in the nineties uh, in the Miami Bay scene called whoop. There it is. And whoop. There it is. Uh, it references. <laughs> yeah. It's, 
it references let let's dance by the uh, West Street mob with that work that body part in the middle. But yeah, all the Miami based hallmarks are here. The hissy symbols, the 808s, the simple call and response lyrics. It's great. I I love this song. I just love Miami based shit so much. The song fucking rocks. I mean, it is so good. Um, it, it's it's so good. Like, you know, and it just again this episode is I'm feeling very in my old man yells at cloud era, but like <laughs> it just, you know, just even the chorus being like, come on and slam. If you want to jam, like it's, that's the worst, maybe the worst lyric ever written, but like yeah. it fucking rocks though. Also, you know, where I'm just like, God, I'm, I remember the era when we used to just write songs where the chorus was come on and slam if you want to jam, you know, like it just, <laughs> it's so, so good, you know? And um, I think like, this is another, uh, another song I have a story for, which was, I remember, and this is like, this is, you know, how you have like moments where, where a piece of culture twigs something in your memory where you were like a bad person. And then it and then it feels bad, like am yes. I you, you know like and this is one of those songs for me. So like I love this song. I mean this song is is fucking great. But I remember uh, we we were my school had a talent show, and so again this would have been yeah like nine. Actually, I can pinpoint the exact year because I only went to that school for a year. So it would have been yeah it would have been ninety six ninety seven would have been the school year yeah that I was that this was happening. So our school had a talent show and there are these two girls and they weren't in my grade. I think they were maybe a year older than me and they did a sort of like gymnastics routine to this song. And I remember as part of their talent show and they were both a little on the heavier side. And I remember like us being so mean to them, not to their face, but just like I was like 10 or well, no 12, whatever, however old I was. And like, so this song, anytime I hear it, I can see these girls like doing somersaults on my elementary <laughs> school stage onto blue gym mats and just being like, God, there was a time in history where I was such a bad person. Like they were cl- <laughs> like, they were just putting themselves out there. They were doing this gymnastics routine in front of the whole school. It's like so brave to do that, especially if you're maybe have been made fun of for your body, whatever, like so cool of them to do that and i was just such a piece of shit child you know and so it's weird that like i like this song so much but then it also <laughs> gives me this memory where i'm like god i wish i knew where the two of them were right now and i could just i don't they don't need my apology but like i just i hope they're doing so good because i was such a piece of shit you know you can't you can't hold anything against yourself when you're that age i look i'm around them i know a lot. i know but it's just like god you know you just feel so bad yeah. Oh, I know. I know. And they will, the kids I see, you know, it's the, the, for all the like kids are too woke, blah, blah shit. Now, do you know what the funniest thing to a 12 year old is calling their friend gay? That's the funniest thing in the world to them. It's like <laughs> calling their friend gay. They still do it. It's fucking death. Nothing's changed in 2023. Um, They still make gay jokes at each other and, and they'll all just like everyone grow up and be like, oh, what the fuck, man? What was it? Not everyone. There are ones who don't. Yes. Unfortunately, not everyone does. But yeah. Yeah. But for the most part, they'll be like, oh, I can't believe what I was like when I was 12 or 13. I tell them all the time. I'm like, you're the worst age in the world. <laughs> Mr. Peacock, what do you yeah. mean? Like, not, nothing against you. I like you kids. But like, I was the worst when I was your age. It sucks to be 12 or 13. It's awful. Yeah. Awful Bad time age. to be alive. Bad age. Um, great song. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Oh, boy. That's is a weird one. To, that's a weird thing to say. Segwaying into the next one. R. Kelly with I Believe I Can Fly. Uh, 
another single and in early 1997 i believe i could fly reached number two on the billboard hot 100 it also reached the number one spot on the billboard r&b singles chart and remained there for six non-consecutive weeks internationally it topped the charts at eight countries including ireland the netherlands new zealand the uk received five nominations at the 40th annual grammy awards won best r&b male performance best r&b song best song written for visual media it lost to song of the year and record of the year but it was ranked number 406 on rolling stones 500 greatest songs of all time in 2004 the music video was directed by r kelly with hype williams helping out uh okay so elephant in the room right up front r kelly's a fucking monster fuck r kelly uh but i've said this before on the show i've had to talk about manson um we're going to examine art from people that have been outed as terrible people in the last few decades doing stuff that, that you're talking about things that exist, existed decades earlier you're going to find all kinds of people that bad shit have come out so anything i say about this song is obviously not an endorsement of r kelly as a person but listening to this in 2023 it is so easy to see why this song was so massive like it's corny as hell but that's kind of why it works like he's so earnest he's singing with every bit of emotion he has it's immaculately immaculately produced it's a huge sounding song it's just unfortunate that it was made by a truly vile person you know yes uh same everything uh you said uh i agree with and uh yeah i mean did grave digger just drive by because this is a monster jam uh <laughs> This song is unbelievable. Uh, yeah. I mean, what can you say? It's it's such a good song. Uh, there's like nothing yeah. else you can. There's like nothing else you could say. It sucks to have to talk about it. Like, I, yeah, it just. Yeah. You just you 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 hear like there are just certain songs from R. Kelly where you're like, yeah, God. OK, I guess. I guess this is why we just where just people just didn't say anything because <laughs> they were just like, we can make so much money off this guy. So we're just going to let it go for way too long. Like it just it sucks to even think about it in those terms. But that's kind of what happened, really. Dude, if, if I had been at the at the that when Ignition Remix came out, if I had been like at a dance floor uh, in college, because I came out when I was in college, if I had been at like one of the dance sort of bars that i didn't go to off the would go to sometimes drunk and somebody would be like r kelly's a pervert while that song was playing i'd be like fuck it who cares this song's great you know what i mean like that's yeah, yeah people ignored it because like you can get it all fucking we could get into that for an hour as to why people just kind of ignored what a monster he was for so many years but um yeah i mean i believe i can fly is it's a fucking great song made by a really awful person uh yep. and uh, i think that's enough to say about that one so at uh, number five we've got now, with nothing bad to say about this one, Be Real, Coolio, Method Man, LL Cool J, and Busta Rhymes with Hit Em High, the Monstars album. This is another single, and this is one that shockingly didn't chart in the U.S., which is unreal, because goddamn, this is the best song on this soundtrack. Uh, it had a great video directed by Hype Williams. It has scenes from the movie, mostly just Monstar stuff. The rappers involved, all of them wore Monstars jerseys while rapping on a basketball court. But, like, goddamn, look at the talent in here in this. It's those five plus production by the track masters who were like at the peak of their fucking talents at this point. And it shows the beat is so fucking sick on this song. I, I love that. This one doesn't do anything that feels like this is for a Looney Tunes movie either. You know what I mean? It's basically just these five rapping their asses off over one of the meanest beats of 1996. 
Yeah, this is that's the thing that I think is crazy. Like, obviously, this is an amazing song. No question about it. Uh, it's so, so good. But it's the background of this as well. Like, exactly that. As you said, these are all exclusive songs to this soundtrack. And this one in particular, because they knew that this was like they were writing the song for the Monstars. Because obviously, like, the lyrics pardon me, reference the Monstars and all that stuff. So they knew what they were doing. Like they knew they were specifically writing a song for a movie about the Looney Tunes and they just go all the way in and it just, it rocks so hard. Busta's verse is insane and amazing. <laughs> like the whole yeah. song is so good. And this is another one that's like story connected for me. Cause I can remember the Space Jam soundtrack at this time was big, like on the playground, even, you know, like kids were starting to have Discmans and stuff like that and or Walkmans, whatever. And so, you know, kids would have the Space Jam soundtrack at school. And yeah, like those girls did a gymnastics routine to it. Like this soundtrack was in the public consciousness. And I can remember the type of kids in that era who were maybe a little bit more bullying and, and would maybe be the type to call their friends things they shouldn't whatever i can remember yeah. them being like man the space gym soundtrack is like for fucking wussies but like hit them high though that's like the only good song on there like that that was <laughs> yep. like a. I can specifically remember like i can picture the group of like four guys that were sort of the like jimbo kearney and dolph of my elementary <laughs> school who are just like yeah, man, like, I believe I can fly is, like, for fucking you-know-whats, but, like, hit them high, though, yeah, that's, like, a pretty fucking sick song, though. <laughs> I like that you did the thick Canadian accent when you were making this. Because I grew up in Ontario, and that's what they sounded like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, and you're right. I, I, think, I think Method Man steals the show here like he always does, but Buster Rhymes is a close second. It's just a lunatic performance. But this song could have been on any of these five artists albums as a single i think like it could have oh, 100 percent. yeah i agree with you like i think methods verse is the best but it's also it's more just that busta was like i'm doing a song for the looney tune soundtrack and i'm still gonna do like like i'm gonna rap 200 miles an hour and i'm gonna do yeah. my usual thing like i'm not dumbing this down in any way and quite truthfully too be real just he just has the perfect voice for oh. the like for this sort of you know you hit him high like on the chorus and just like talking about how sick the monsters are as the sort of like mc of this track uh, or the host of the track or whatever you want to call it the main voice uh be real just fits it so perfectly it, yeah everything on this thing cooks it's so good yeah, and I, I, you know, I've I've talked. Uh, Cypress Hill's come up in the show a million times, and every time I talk about how goddamn good Cypress Hill are and how good those first three albums sound, even now. Um, but yeah, be, I mean, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm saying. I didn't even mention Be Real when I'm talking about the talent involved here. You know what I mean? Like that's just how good this song is. It's just, it's yeah, it's it's fantastic. That leads us to D'Angelo at number six with "I Found My Smile Again." Think about how weird it is we had to wait like 20 years for a new D'Angelo album when Black Messiah came out and there's gems like this one just like tucked away on the Space Jam soundtrack. Uh, like that's like that's the magic of soundtracks. And this is another one with a great sample. Joe Texas Papa was too. Uh, right when the intro ends and the song takes off is where it starts that sample. And this is pre voodoo D'Angelo. So it feels more like brown sugar. And I love that era of D'Angelo. Uh, even though it's kind of like the outlier in his catalog now, but his vocals are just so smooth here. The guitar work is so smooth. The entire thing's smooth. D'Angelo fucking rules. Uh, and this song's so good. 
Yeah, this is like the this is the sort of soft equivalent of like how is hit him high even on this soundtrack because it's like <laughs> D'Angelo again. There's no compromise in this song. D'Angelo is just like doing his thing in the moment of like in the moment of an era where he was doing this thing and he's just like, yeah, I'm just going to make this kind of groovy, smooth song for this children's movie soundtrack. Like it's just, yeah. it's crazy to even think about that. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it was an awesome song. I, I'm a, I'm a bit of a late, like a late bloomer or a late discoverer of D'Angelo. And so I don't even think I would have been aware. Like if you told me, you know, name the songs that are on the Space Jam soundtrack. Like, I think I would have forgotten that this song was even on it. So, like, re-listening to it and just being like, damn, D'Angelo, man, he went in on this one. It's great. <laughs> yes. Uh, so that leads us to number seven, Monica's For You, I Will, which is another single. This one was written by Diane Warren, who comes up again on here. But Diane Warren wrote a large number, huge number of hits. Um, Rhythm of the Night, If I Could Turn Back Time, Because You Loved Me. Uh, how do I live? I don't want to miss a thing. Like just a, just a hit machine, but as a, as a ghostwriter for other artists, this song peaked at number four. It was Monica's second top five single on one of her highest charting songs of the nineties. It was certified platinum as a single. Uh, it ranked 13 on the top 100 hits of 1997. I actually, it's funny. I messaged you when I was listening to the soundtrack about how I completely forgot this song was on the soundtrack. Cause you remember the song being huge, but I forgot that it was from the soundtrack. So first listen, I got so stoked when it came on because I've always loved this song. I've, I've said on here a million times how much I love nineties R and B. And this is like top shelf nineties R and B. Monica was so good, man. Uh, I, I, I just, I can't believe this song originated with space jam. Like I, I forgot. Yeah. I don't, I wasn't super familiar with it, but I remember, or like, sorry, when I was listening to the soundtrack, I was, uh, usually I talk about this on POD cast, but usually when I'm listening to music for, for POD cast, I, I play video games. So I've got it on headphones and I'm like playing a game or whatever. And, um, so I was like listening on headphones and I was like, this does not sound like a Monica song. Like, I was like, I bet she didn't write it. Like it doesn't, you know, it's like Monica sounds good on it, but I was like, it doesn't sound like monica just sounds so much like a night like a mid 90s hit song that it went to number one that you forgot went to number one you know kind of thing and then i looked it up and it was like written by diane warren i was like of course it was it's like produced by david foster of course it was like it just yeah. it's so funny to think even of like i i don't know i guess i just have this image of monica as being like a little bit more um, brash, I guess. And, and maybe that's not necessarily true, but I just, I, I th sort of think of her as a little grimier and it was just like kind of funny to think about Diane Warren writing a song for Monica. I mean, she probably wasn't writing it specifically for Monica, but just the idea that Monica picked up this Diane Warren song was like, yeah, I'm going to sing the shit out of this. Uh, and then it sounds great. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really good song. I mean, it's like you said, kind of one of those, it's one of those Diane Warrens where you're like, that sounds like Diane Warren. It's competently done. Am I going to rush to like, listen to it a bunch of times? No, but certainly it's yeah, a very good song. And what, again, that's the difference. That's like one of those, you might get more mileage with me because I just have such a thing for mid nineties. R and B is like one of my favorite, like little eras of music. I just love that shit growing up and still do. 
Um, so at number eight, we come to Salt and Pepper with Upside Down, Round and Round, a cover of the Diana Ross song. My two cover song questions. Is this song different enough from the original to justify existing? Yeah, absolutely. Lyrics and sound, it's it's all different. It's like a reinterpretation. Did they fuck it up? No, it's cool. Uh, it does away with the disco flavor for a 90s R&B thing, but like I think that song translates well to that sound. And, uh, and Salt and Pepper were great. So uh, it's it's not one of my favorites on here, but it's a good cover. Yeah, this was one I I didn't really like. I I think, you know, I agree with what you're saying as far as like it definitely is different enough to justify the cover, but I think it's sort of the opposite thing that you had with Fly Like an Eagle where you hated the original song so much that it was really tough for you to even like a a, a good cover of it. This is kind of the opposite phenomenon for me, which I'm sure you go through too, where I like the original song so much that this one just misses it for me. I just think like the original is so good and so iconic that this is fine, but I it I didn't really think it was bringing enough to the table where, you know, it, to me, it was like, I oh, just have the original, just have the original song. in here. That would be better than that'd be better. And I get that. I do love the original version, too. I guess maybe just not in the same regard that you hold it. But I've had I know exactly what you're talking about, where it's like, this is good. But like, I just want to hear the other one. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather yeah. hear the original. Um, so at number nine, we've got Robin S with giving you all I got, which is a dance club track. It fits here though. It's kind of got a jock James feel to it. It's one of the weaker songs on here, but like, I never wanted to skip it. The chorus is fantastic. The problem is the rest of it is just okay. It kind of suffers from being to me, the most forgettable one on here where like right now I'm kind of, I can't even like think of how it sounds in my head as we're talking about it. And I just listened to the soundtrack like an hour before we recorded again. Yeah, same as me. I thought this was the weak. I think this is the weakest song on here. Well, it's either this one or another one that's coming up. But um, this one, yeah, quite weak, I thought. Um, another very funny, like, uh, sort of misnomering with, like, you know, Robin S. having a song called Show Me Love and then Robin also having a song called Show Me Love and people conflating the <laughs> two of them together. So at first I was like, oh, Robin's on this soundtrack. And then I was like, oh, no, right. Robin S., that's a different person. Um, (laughs) it was, it was funny to see that it's produced by Todd Terry, who sort of did that legendary, uh, everything but the girl remix of missing, uh, you know, that was kind of his main claim to fame. I just thought ultimately, um, I I thought that this was a little too Euro dancey. Like it just didn't fit with the rest of the vibe of the album either. Like, I don't think it's a great song to start with. And then on top of that, it just kind of scanned to me. As like a so we had uh, up in Canada we have much music was our our MTV equivalent and every year they would put out a compilation album called Much Dance and so it was okay. like it was like just yeah like dance it was like kind of a mix of like Euro dance hip hop pop songs like and if it was a pop song it would usually be some kind of European remix of the pop song whatever but those are like pretty iconic albums back in the day this felt to me like one of the like deep cuts on one of those that I wouldn't have liked like it just it's kind of just like a flimsy Euro dance song and with like how special honestly a lot of the songs on here feel this one just kind of felt like uh, it's 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 already kind of past the Euro dance era too of where those songs were, were really big. I mean, I guess Barbie girls after this, but like, I don't know. It just didn't feel like it even kind of fit on the soundtrack. It was definitely not my favorite. 
much dance is a really fucking funny album like title for much dance is like i don't know that's just really funny to me it sounds like something yeah. that like the sprocket character would say like Mike yeah Myers like much da- yeah they would just call dance. it like much dance 97 like here you go i'll give you an example this is much dance 97 we've got discotech by youtube but it's the hexadecimal mix and then we have uh, I'll Be Missing You, uh, but Puff Daddy and, and Faith Evans, Broken Bones by Love Inc., which I think Love Inc. is a Canadian band. You've probably never heard of them before, I'm guessing. Okay. Yeah. It's like, I've got broken bones, not from your sticks and stones, but from the names that you call me. No. No. Okay, I, then, I, uh, I'm familiar with some of that stuff. Like, I live close enough to Detroit that there's a Detroit station that would play a lot of Canadian. Like, I know, like, right. Edwin's alive. I know like Treble yeah. Charger. I know. Yeah. So but yeah, that okay. one I don't know. So the rock bands, you know, but yeah, they were like a Canadian dance band. And then, yeah, it's just like a lot of if it's a song that's sort of like a pop song, it's always a mix. Like we've got the Mbop Dust Brothers mix uh, on here <laughs> for some reason. I'd love to hear that. I've never heard that Me before, too. but I'm sure it's absolutely terrible. Uh, we've got How Bizarre by OMC, the Chibola radio mix. But then I you just get straight up. Oh, I love how bizarre, but you get the uh, the straight up like just hypnotized by the notorious B.I.G. is on here and we trying to stay alive by Wyclef Jean. So it, it would be this like weird mix of like just the straight up hip hop song and then like some pop or rock song with like a bizarre Euro dance mix. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it was well, they were a very strange collection of albums, but my sister got them like most years they came out, I think. I do have one piece of good news for you. The Dust Brothers Mbop remix is on Spotify. It's oh, on Spotify. Yeah. I am going to listen to it as soon as we are done here. I can't because Mbop is like unironically one of my favorite songs of all time. So I would Great. love to hear how badly the Dust Brothers fucked it up. I, I can't play it right now. So I, in case I get DCMA. No, like, no, you're good. Kind of... We'll listen to it. We'll <laughs> uh, both listen to it after. I can't believe you don't like How Bizarre. Holy. That's such a great song. What a fun song. I hate it. I hate All the fellas in the I back. Sweet singers in the front, cruising down the freeway <laughs> in the hot, hot sun. I've gone to battle over not liking this song a handful of times. I just don't like it. I've had to defend my position. Um, so at number 10, we've got Barry White and Chris Rock, Basketball Jones, which is a cover of a Cheech and Chong song, which is a sentence that could only have sprung to life in the 90s. Like, seriously, that is such a fucking funny thing to say out loud. But uh, this song samples the honey drippers impeach the president. Okay, I don't know if you were talking about this one. You said the worst song, but to me, this one is just weird enough to work because you've got Barry White playing this whole thing straight faced and Chris Rock doing the high pitch shit that Cheech does or from the Cheech and Chong version um, and the girls on the, the girls on the chorus. And somehow this weird fucking thing ended up on an album that sold six million copies. Like it's totally so strange. Jordan shows up at the end. I, I just love this one for how weird it is. I uh, no, this is not the song I was talking about. I love this song. This song is fucked. <laughs> How does this song exist? And the, honestly, this isn't even the most fucked song on the soundtrack. We still have yet. That one's coming too. <laughs> but like <laughs> this song is so funny. Every part of it is funny. Like the chorus just being like, yeah, soul backup singers. They're playing basketball. Like it just, <laughs> that just comes out of nowhere for some reason, you know? And then like, and then yeah, Barry White being like, you know, doing his baritone thing I can't do all over the track. And then, yeah, what is Chris Rock doing here? I don't, I don't even understand what Chris Rock is doing. He's just like, like we haven't even gotten the, like no sex in the champagne room 
I, I like that I said it like he says it in this no sex in the champagne room, uh, you know, was like <laughs> that was a like well-known song, you know, don't go to jail because somebody smudged your puma. Uh <laughs> like we all knew that song of like Chris Rock, like there was an era of Chris Rock doing this. This is pre that era. Like, I don't know how Chris Rock would have ended up here. And I love that. Like by the end of the song, he's completely abandoned doing jokes. And he's just like David Robinson in the house. <laughs> Patrick Ewing in the house, you know, and then it goes to another chorus and you're like, this song must be over. They're like, nope, another verse. And then he just starts naming off Looney Tunes, Bugs Bunny in the house. And you're like, what the fuck is happening? It's insane. I mean, the song is absolutely insane. I love it. I love every it part. It feels like something that would have sprung to life in the cocaine 80s more than it feels like something that would have happened. Hundred percent. You know what I mean? Oh, Chris Rock is my good. Like it'd be Barry White rolling up to the studio being like, hey, you guys heard of this Chris Rock guy? Oh, yeah, man, I went. To, I went to see his show last night at the Improv. He was unbelievable. I'm going to bring him in on the track, you know. And then they'd be like, "Okay, yeah, sure, whatever." Everybody's high on their mind. Like, you know, Chris Rock comes in. Hey, uh, how's everybody doing? You know, and they're like, "Yeah, get, let's get him on the track." It's yeah, not. It. And then I do love, like you said too, Michael Jordan is on this song, and it genuinely sounds like they recorded his lines off of a phone. It sounds like he phoned <laughs> into the studio and they just recorded it. It's incredible. The whole thing's great. It's I I love songs like this where you don't you can't even figure out how they existed and then they exist and they're somehow good and also it goes well in the movie. It's playing in that scene where Charles Barkley goes to the playground to try and mm-hmm. see if he can compete with these girls playing basketball and they've got that we're playing basket in the background and it sounds good like it fits in the movie too. So like somehow it all works. Like somehow this song exists only like 5 of these songs are actually in the um only five of these songs are like actually in the movie. And that was one of them that they chose to be in the movie. It's unbelievable. It's awesome. Yeah. I love it. (laughs) Um, So up next, we've got all for one with, I turn to you, which was also written by Diane Warren. This song didn't get much recognition when it was released as one of the singles, but it was covered by Christina Aguilera on her debut album. It was a pretty big hit. The Christina Aguilera version is actually what Lady Gaga credits for making her want to sing in the first place. But, uh, and again, as far as this version goes, like I said, I love 90s R&B. Uh, I loved all of the big all-for-one singles. I swear is an all-timer. Um, yeah. And this song, it's it's solid. Uh, it's the weaker, it's weaker than their big singles, but it's got, again, all the hallmarks of 90s R&B, the smooth, synthy production, the harmonizing, all that shit's present. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sturdy 90s R&B song. <laughs> yeah, this was the one I was talking about earlier. I think this might be the weakest song on the soundtrack for me. And again, not that it's bad. It's competence written by Diane Warren as well. Um, and yeah, I agree with you. Like I all for one, I swear. What a song. Incredible. You know, I have a huge soft spot for some of their big hits. Casey and Jojo's big hits like Boys to mm-hmm. Men, all those sort of like harmonizing um, you know, black, black guy groups, they are all great. Like, you know, so many good songs, but this one, yeah, to me, it was just kind of, this felt like, uh, if this was on one of their albums, it would be track nine and you'd never hear it. And you, you know, you'd never, you'd never listen to it. It's just like, it, it's fine there you, when it's on, you're absolutely not like, God, what a piece of shit, but it's just, it's only a competent 
uh, all for one song. And I, I think, yeah, probably the weakest song on the soundtrack for me. I thought you were going to pick a different one. Uh, so at number 12, we've got R. Kelly with Changing Faces and Jay-Z. This is actually one where the supporting people uh, make this song. Like, R. Kelly doesn't really do much. Changing Faces is so good on the chorus. Jay-Z was still hungry at this point, so he's really good when he pops up. The production's pristine. Uh, it's a good R&B rap hybrid um, that, that thankfully R. Kelly kind of just only has a little bit of, of involvement with, even though he's top billing. Yeah, I thought this was a, a very solid song. I do think it is funny. I agree. Jay-Z is still in his proficient rapping era, but is also sort of like rapping about being rich on a track for children, uh, which I think is super <laughs> funny. Uh, you know, he's kind of like bragging about having a nice car and like a big watch and stuff. Like if he was truly, if he really understood the assignment, he'd be bragging about how he could afford to like buy every chocolate bar in the candy aisle. Yeah. Um, I've you got know, all the <laughs> I've got every cereal. I've got I've got chocolate frosted flakes until 2024, you know, whatever. Like that, of Nintendo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I only eat happy meals for every meal. <laughs> you know, that's what he would be. He would be talking about beanie babies, probably. Like that's where he really should have been. I don't I think the kids listening to the soundtrack weren't quite understanding the like, oh, I, you know, oh, check out my wrist. It's so, so blingy you know it's like yeah but it's a good it's a very good song I, I think it's just yeah it's good it is uh so up next we've got spin doctors with biz Marquis, speaking of 90 sentences uh with that's the way i like it a cover of casey and the sunshine band song this one's saved by biz uh it's better than it sounds on paper uh though it's way better than it sounds on paper i mean i love biz Marquis, spin doctors whatever is it different enough to justify existing yes because of biz but it's really close to the original honestly and do they fuck it up no again because of biz it's basically biz Marquis doing a karaoke version of this song which is like as good as it sounds if you like biz Marquis. it's fun it's fun yeah i mean i think that's the way i like it is just such a memorable chorus that you just kind of mm -hmm. can't really fuck it up almost right. you know like <laughs> right. un unless you did like a really slow version of it or you did some kind of weird glitchy version of it or whatever like if you just kind of hit that stomp in chorus and you hit that like if that's in there i'm we're gonna like it you know it's just like yeah. such an iconic uh it's such an iconic chorus that you just truly can't really fuck it up um, I did write though that the spin doctors tried to get close, uh, but they, uh, just a lot of horns, <laughs> a lot of horns and a lot of what, you know, I just think it's, I think the one thing that makes this song work also, I agree is biz, but also that the spin doctors guy didn't try to like rap with biz, you know, right. It didn't, it didn't end up in a sort of Fred Durst method man situation. Uh, where where Method Man is just absolutely wrapping circles around Fred on In Together now. Um, <laughs> you know, thankfully, the Spin Doctors guy, whatever his fucking name is, uh, he, he recognized that, you know what? I probably should just let Biz Cook on here. Chris Barron is his name. Um, I couldn't he, remember. He, he didn't get it. He did. Yeah, he didn't get in the way. He was just like, uh, Biz is cooking. I'll just... I'll just kind of play around here, but he didn't try to go toe to toe with biz. And that was for the best. Yeah. Thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, like I said, I, I couldn't, I couldn't remember this version coming back to this. And when I saw it, I was like, Oh shit. But like, yeah, it's, it's biz marquee is always fun. Um, so then we close the album with bugs, bunnies, Buggin', a rap song with bugs, bunny, uh, and Elmer Fudd. And it's co-written by Jay-Z. Um, 
look, it's 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 pretty. I'm not. It's pretty dumb. But thankfully, they crammed that on at the end. And like this, ha- maybe the laziest beat I've ever heard in a rap song. Like it's very low effort, but you gotta have something on here specifically for the kids. So I'm not like too mad about this one. I'm not beating it up. It's fine. It, it's it's not that it's bad. It's just it's very low effort. <laughs> it's very low effort. It is so. I mean. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's so dumb. It's like when you when you find out this song was ghost written by Jay Z, that really is what elevates it to another level for me. Um, when you just go like, "Oh my god, hell yeah, Jay Z!" They're like, "Hey, we're doing a song, and it's from Bugs Bunny's voice. You want to write it?" And Jay Z's like, "Ha, yeah." You know, like that is just so funny to me. And then again, it's got the classic like we already heard Jay Z not knowing how to rap for kids in here. Uh, we get more of that in here. It's so great uh, where he says, like Trump's wife, I'm up to my ears in carrots, which is like, <laughs> does what what does that even mean? I mean, I guess it means like, uh, you know, you've got all, a bunch of jewelry, uh, you know, carrots. But that makes me laugh a lot. Um, and then uh, there's one part where he just talks about how much money Warner Brothers has, which is really weird. Says it's like like and they make fun of Jordan's Michael Jordan's baseball. So like this quatrain is unbelievable. Can he make hits like this? No, it's like Jordan at the plate. You're likely to miss. Oh, he's making fun of Mickey Mouse first. Sorry, it's actually more of a a, a, a sestet here. Can a mouse write this? Does he have long furry ears like this? Can he make hits like this? No, it's like Jordan at the plate. You're likely to miss. Warner Brothers Inc. got bank. Keep counting. Rule from here to the moron mountain, which I just <laughs> Warner Brothers Inc. <laughs> That's where we're, we're name dropping Warner Brothers Inc. in the song. Really liked that. And then I particularly like in the third verse, he makes a tombstone reference, which is unbelievable. It bugs does. Eh, what more can I say? I'm the coolest rabbit. Doc Holiday. I'll be your huckle bunny. Unmatched wit. I'll be your huckle bunny. Unbelievable. So the, the beginning, the beginning part about the floppy ears and stuff reminds me. It's like it's like uh, the the the. Uh, Don't you wish your girlfriend was hot like me? But it's about yes. Mickey Mouse and <laughs> totally. Bunny. It's like that. <laughs> so yeah, good and then- i mean it is like because i was just talking about how like the 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 barry white chris rock song i love for being as weird as it is and existing and i don't know why this one didn't hit the same way for me because now as you're saying this i'm like wait i think i like this more than i did listening to it the first time <laughs> well and i also love too that like just at random points they'll do like a super big bugs voice so like to start off the second verse, he's like, got a Goyle friend, Lola. She's a fox. Like, it's like, we okay. It's real, yeah. And then just even the whole chorus, like you're bugging is just a very funny, like that was never really slang. Like, I guess it was for a moment. Like, oh, don't, you're bugging out, you know, or whatever. But who says the bunny can't rhyme? You're bugging. If bugs don't make you hop, you're bugging. Like it just, I don't know. I love it all. It's, it's like, great. it's great. It's ne- like, don't get me wrong. It's never a song. Like it's not on a playlist that I have made or anything. Like, it's not like, I'm like, God, I hope this comes up on shuffle in my car. I don't really ever want to listen to it, but like to listen to it for something like this, you're just like, God, I love that this got made. I love you think about like how controlled 
this whole movie experience was with Michael Jordan and all of this, all the legal hoops. And you're talking about getting Disney involved, whatever. So just think of like the number of people that signed off on Bugs Bunny is rapping. It's ghost written by Jay-Z. It's sung in Bugs Bunny's voice. And Elmer Fudd and Daffy Duck are also on the track. Wow. Beautiful. <laughs> it's great. It's a, again, this, the nineties, baby. <laughs> um, the 90s, okay. Baby. <laughs> so that's the soundtrack do a quick wrap up here songs in the movie that are not on the soundtrack there's a couple cnc music factory is going to make you sweat technotronics pump up the jam ice house is wild dick dale's miserloo and uh two unlimited's get ready for this is this soundtrack on spotify only about half of it is it's missing hit them high found my smile again upside down round and round basketball jones that's the way i like it and bugging so yeah it's missing quite a bit um john let me ask you here's where you get to this part the movie, would you consider this movie an essential? Would you say stream it or would you say skip it? Uh, I think stream it. I don't think it's an essential, especially when you think of like animated movies, because this kind of this basically qualifies as an animated movie. Um, you know, in the pantheon of animated movies, is it like one that you would have to see? Uh, no, uh, but I wouldn't skip it, especially if you've never seen it before. I mean, I think it's like such a cultural curio um that it's it's worth watching just from that perspective even if you don't like it it's got so much kind of weird and interesting things happening in it um that yeah for me it's it's a stream it for sure yeah same here I, it's not an essential by any means but i as much as as many haters as it has it's not a skipper i think it's worth watching for the same reasons you said basically like i mean there's just it's so odd that it exists. <laughs> it's so odd that it exists. It's so odd that it's the only Space Jam movie that existed for 30 years. It's it's weird that it exists, and it's even weirder that after it was they they took that chance and made it that it took them, you know, 25 years to make another one. So yeah, stream it absolutely. The soundtrack, would you say the soundtrack is essential? Would you say stream it, skip it, or cherry pick certain songs from it? Oh, soundtrack is essential, I think. I, I think, you know, it's got some of the biggest songs of the 90s on it, quite frankly, or at least one of the biggest songs of the 90s on it, even if it's written and sung by a very bad person. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I think as far as, you know, you get some iconic performances on here, Hit Em High is unbelievable. Just the fact that there's that little of posse cut on there. Um, you know, really not a bad song on here. Even the songs I didn't like are still really solid. Uh, all exclusive tracks too, which I think obviously if it's a good soundtrack that elevates the soundtrack. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think this is in the Pantheon. The numbers speak for themselves too. It sold 6 million copies. It's very representative of the time period of this movie. And then as we said, it's got two songs on it that are absolutely insane and could only exist in this time period uh which is also really cool um so yeah it, it's a it's a bona fide essential for me i can't unpack my reasonings any better than you just did but it's an essential i mean it sold six million copies for a reason you know what i mean like yeah. there's totally. a reason this album sold six million copies uh do the two go well together the soundtrack and the movie yeah i think so i mean i actually wish there was more of the songs in the movie you know, I, I think that they kind of, you know, you've got these exclusive songs from these artists, you know, get them in there. You know, uh, I would have loved to see more of these songs in the movie. But yeah, I mean, I think it's I, I think it's like one of those things, too. Like if you heard I Believe I Can Fly or Fly Like an Eagle, you're picturing Space Jam in your mind, you know, like and that's yeah. always a great sign of how well 
two things have gone together where, and you maybe don't even think of the scene. Like, I don't even know if I could picture before I just rewatched this movie. If you had told me like, what scene does fly like an Eagle play in? I'm not sure that I would have even necessarily known that off the top of my head, but you would, you just picture Michael Jordan and Bugs Bunny and, and this movie. And, and so, yeah, I, I think they go, I think they go really well together. Yeah, same here. And it's again, it's one of those ones where the soundtrack and the movie are so like tied together at this point that I can't really separate the two. You know what I mean? Like for 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 any particular reason, I can't even like try to like pretend that that I could. There's nothing I can do to separate the two of them. So, yeah, they absolutely go well together. Um, what are your top three? Oh, boy. Um, I think top three on here, uh, I'm going with uh, Hit Him High, number one, I think is is kind of a no-brainer. Um, and then I'm going to go with Fly Like an Eagle and Space Jam. Even though, I mean, I think we all know as well that I believe I could fly. I could easily be in this top three, but I'm leaving it out for political reasons. And I do just genuinely love that Quad City DJ song. So I think those are my top three. We have a very similar top three, and it's funny because my top note here is R. Kelly's disqualified in this position. <laughs> nice. no, he's disqualified for top three. Uh, number one, hit him high. Number two, Monica's for you, I will. Number three, Quad City DJ Space Jam. So nice. Uh, very, very similar list. All right. So further watching, further listening. Definitely not the sequel. But if you want to look for more, uh, sticking with the theme here, live action films with cartoons. Uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, the Sonic the Hedgehog movies, Mary Poppins, Pete Dra Pete's Dragon, Small Soldiers. There's a whole bunch of them, but uh, those are some of the ones that I you know immediately thought of at the top of my head. As far as further listening, D'Angelo's Brown Sugar album, like I said, it's an outlier album now because everyone talks about Voodoo and Black Messiah, and it was kind of like his first album where he he hadn't quite found like the I don't know whatever everyone fell in love with the voodoo but it's a great album it's a great album and then I don't have albums to pick but on Spotify there are two really great mixes. Um, I don't have the names for them, but if you search them, you can find them. There's a really great Miami bass mix on Spotify that is just like four hours long, maybe longer. It might be like 15 hours. It's one of those ridiculously <laughs> huge playlists. And there's a really great mid nineties R and B mix on there as well. So those would be my two. Those would be my suggestions as far as further listening. Um, and that's what I got for today. So John, thank you so much for coming on and doing this with me. Oh, thank you for having me. This was uh, this was a blast. What a what a nice time period to go back and revisit. I'm so glad to be doing this one for the two year because it just seems to make the most sense to like do a really big one and you don't really get much bigger than this. But uh, yeah, you you uh, you you really had a lot of really well thought out answers for this, too, which I love. I love when the guests have like really like you put some thought to these these songs. Um, yeah, I, I take podcasting uh, I very seriously, Eric. OK, I think it's uh, it's <laughs> pretty clear. On that note, it's your turn now. So you've got some podcasts. You let everyone know where they can find you. Any any social media they can find you. Tell them about the shows. It's your turn. Sure. Yeah. So uh, yeah, my main, I guess, quote unquote, main podcast is called Blocked Party. Uh, it's myself and Stefan Heck, uh, who you may know from from weird Twitter. He's boring as heck online. Uh, we're almost at 250 episodes. So big back catalog. If you're looking for a new comedy podcast in your life, we bring on a guest every week to talk about a time that they've been blocked on social media. We've had some huge guests on the show, Tony Hawk, Nikki Glazer, Ike Barinholtz. Uh, there's a ton, the Doughboys. There's a lot of great guests uh, and, and a lot of great episodes. So yeah, go, go check that out. Um, and then my other podcast, which we have referenced that, uh, you know, Soundtracker's very own Eric uh, guested on. It's called the POD cast. It's myself and Brian Quinby, who you may know, uh, formerly of Street Fight Radio, now of the Guys podcast. 
yeah, we've been doing that for almost five years. We review a classic new metal album every month. If you're not familiar with the genre new metal, think Corn, Limp Bizkit, Slipknot, System of a Down, Disturbed, Deftones, those kinds of bands. Uh, we review one of those albums every single month, and it's a fun time. It's not so much uh, like a super deep into the music. It's more of like a vibes based. We talk a lot about our experiences in that time period. Brian's seven years older than me, so he lived it. He was at Woodstock 99. He was in the moment. And I was like a teenage, a young teenager listening to that music. And I was like a white suburban kid. And so we just have varying experiences with the music. And I think it makes for a great show. Um, so, yeah, so you can check that out. Uh, and then, yeah, like, like Eric said, uh, he was on a bonus episode on the Patreon uh, where, uh, yeah, we review a ton of stuff as well on there. So, yeah, just you can check it all out. And then you can follow me. I'm at Cullen the Comic. Uh, if all of those plugs were too much for you, uh, I'm always retweeting uh, whatever I'm doing with my pod. So you can follow me on there and um, yeah, check them out. Well, and I'll put links for everything you said and I'll put places they can find you in the episode description as well to make it easy Wonderful. for the people listening. So, uh, well, John, thanks for coming on and doing my two year show with me. I appreciate that. And um, for 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 sitting and talking about Space Jam for over two hours with me. I love it. I love it. Hey, ho- hopefully your listeners like it too. But yeah, thanks so much. It was uh, an honor to be a part of your, your second birthday. It's not easy to do this many episodes of a podcast. And so congratulations to you. A big accomplishment. Hey. And uh, I'm thrilled to play uh, this tiny part in it. I appreciate it. And uh, everyone listening at home, thanks for listening to the show for two years. And I hope that every one of you has a tremendous weekend. No use running, ain't nowhere to hide. The beast is coming and he's got you in his sights. He ain't gonna miss you and he ain't gonna mess around. If you're a movie with original songs, the soundtrack I'm gonna track you down.